Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 269th Nice episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows that diamond hands buy paper cards instead of Silicon Dreams. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with everybody. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week? Oh, a couple of odds and ends, I suppose. We will start off with the MTGO Metagame Week in Review, uh, Modern and Legacy Challenge. You put Legacy on here again? I did indeed. There's plenty of hot hot new movement from Strixhaven cards affecting Legacy, so it seemed worthy of another look-see. My god, making me look at Legacy cards twice, two weeks in a row. What year is it, 2013? Uh, We're basically like hedging our bets as to whether Legacy or Pioneer will actually get played by anybody once paper play resumes. Yeah, well, I don't think I don't think Legacy will go disappear any harder than it has. You know, we were just talking about Pioneer. Um, Hold on. Segment two top paper movers are cards that have moved the most in price this week, segment uh, including the top MTGO movers. Segment three are paper cards to watch a laundry list this week uh and segment four topic of the week uh wizards indicated that they may be looking into nfts so we will have a (laughs) chat about that uh some buddies and i were talking recently um all longtime competitive magic players about what the formats will look like you know if we see maybe a quarter four return to paper magic in the states and uh the problem is that i think you you wonder whether or not pioneer will exist at all when people return because it really hasn't had a lot of traction yet um and you know they they brought up the the fact that basically no one really plays pioneer because you can only play it on moto and moto is so much worse than arena for the most part and historic being good means that people just play historic on arena rather than pioneer on moto uh which sound, seems reasonable, but I the the you know the question was raised like, well, they'll, they'll just port can they, can they port historic to paper and then make that the new pioneer? But that seems like a non-starter to me because that ban list makes no sense. And I think we talked about this before, but that ban list is just impossible to reconcile in paper magic. And they all had the same opinion as well. So my where I'm leading with this is I. I I don't think you can put historic in the paper. And if you were going to try and replace pioneer, I don't know what you would replace it with because it's essentially going to be the same thing. Like, what are you going to do? Just like move the, the, the first set 
you know, the, the, the earliest set that's legal, like up a year or two, like instead of, I don't even remember what Stark was, honestly, instead of Battle for Zendikar, it's Kaladesh or something like a move forward one. What's the point? Like you already have Pioneer exists, just sort of like reinvigorate it. So all of this is to say that while Pioneer feels kind of dead in the water a little bit at the moment, I would expect Wizards to just try and revive it when Paper Magic returns, because I don't think they particularly have a better solution. It's a cavalcade of bad decisions across multiple departments inside WotC <laughs> that puts them in this extremely awkward position on the tail end of COVID, where the ideal is clearly that if you're going to run two digital platforms and you want to support something that is in between standard and modern, the ideal is that you can play that format on both your digital platforms and that you can support it in paper. But WotC has clearly signaled that they're going to build what remains of their competitive scene around the formats that people can play on Arena. So it, it looks very much like standard is the name of the game for the time being. And it's unclear whether you're ever going to get legacy, modern, whatever associated with the current incarnations of Pro Tours. So it then remains to be seen to what extent the LGS network will support these other formats. Legacy, I think, is the one you bet on over Pioneer, just on the basis that the Legacy players are fully entrenched. They have all their cards. They've had them for years. For the most part, these are people that are fully enfranchised players that have been playing for 5, 10, 15 years. They've got their duels. They've built their decks. They tune them as the years go on and additional cards come out. But for the most part, they're there and ready to get back to playing. And we know that the whales were some of the most engaged and less like, least likely to fall off the table during COVID. They're the ones spending all the money that's keeping the hobby going. And, and Indeed, Hasbro reported 15% increased earnings. And this is the first quarter that we're getting that feedback from them with them putting uh, Watsi Plus Digital in its own division. So they're now in a position where they are bound to describe the finances of... Wizards of the Coast in a more detailed way, um, whereas in previous uh, iterations of their financial reporting, Magic the brand was often lumped into another category alongside things like Monopoly and what have you, and so you had to kind of tease out or extrapolate to kind of figure out, you know, how much is this brand actually making? Now we're getting a clearer picture. So, yeah, I mean, this, this whole scene is... Uh, gonna be awkward we're gonna <laughs> I, I have confidence in in standard and modern and draft still existing when we get into a post-covid world or a covid controlled under control world in north america but i don't know to what degree we're gonna see pioneer tournaments i mean one of the factors here is with less and less support going to the lgs network the lgs network is bound to shrink um some of which has happened just be because of weaker uh, you know, weaker financed LGS is just falling off the table and closing during COVID. Um, and Wizard seems completely comfortable with that because they haven't really gone out of their way to keep them afloat. Um, they seem very, very confident in their strategy to target the higher end of the market, to shift a greater and greater percentage of the print run of each set into, say, Amazon's hands and mine greater margins there to make up for whatever shortfalls might come from a shrunken LGS network. And I think what they're fully expecting to happen is what we talked about, you know, a couple of times during 
the last year, which is that the LGS network might shrink by 20, 30, 40%. And that Wizards just just figuring that there's that the hopeless cases, the LGSs that barely hung on with like six people showing up for an FNM, were never going to be the ones that helped improve their bottom line anyway. So they would rather reallocate inventory from those LGSs over to Amazon and other venues, you know, refocus on things like Secret Lair and you know, have less of a retail presence, but much a much stronger e-commerce margin mining operation. Very much seems like where they're at. Okay, so wait, you're you're of the opinion that you think legacy will be the format du jour when we return the paper? No, no, no. I just think that legacy players aren't haven't gone anywhere and already have their decks, and they've had 10, 15 years of legacy to build that community. So they are, wherever Legacy already gets played, it will continue to get played. So for instance, here in Toronto, strong Legacy scene. Once we can get back into face-to-face games to play Legacy, there will be a Legacy night and it will it will fire. Will a Pioneer night fire? No idea. Because Pioneer only got four to six months of so, like tepid interest, which, by the way, was affected by many, many bans before COVID interfered. So there, there isn't that dedicated Pioneer player base. And, and I certainly haven't been selling much in the way of Pioneer cards. In fact, I can't think of a single card that's Pioneer specific that I've sold any significant quantity of in the last year. Well, true. I mean, other than Hex Drinker, what card have you sold for Modern? <laughs> oh, like, lot, I've sold lots of Modern cards. Yeah, I. some of that stuff moves a little... I mean, Pioneer is definitely not moving paper cards the other legacy and modern like sort of sort of uh but you know where where people felt that there was uh a priority to do so so for instance you know dual lands have done well this year because reserve list did well this year because people spotted an opportunity to take advantage of the lack of buy listing gp purchasing circuit etc led to all of that getting driven up and wizards has shown no signal that they're going to do anything other than support the reserve list as as stated so all of that has led to dual spiking um i mean it wizards clearly thought that they could get away players would benefit from choose your terminology a format that existed between uh modern and standard and i don't know why that wouldn't be true when we return to paper and i don't see the the reasons that wizards didn't like legacy hasn't changed like right like it's the all of the problems with that as far as wizards with concerns still exist so i'm sure people will play it but like wizards isn't gonna be any more inclined to support it than they were previously true but i don't think i don't think they necessarily are in position to support either format Pioneer is problematic because of the conflict with Historic and the inability to play it on the digital platform that they want to be synced with the formats that they focus on. And so that now that's running interference against the need to have a format in between modern and standard. And how that will resolve itself is, I think, up in the air. And I suspect there, there, there will be some... that it will be odd. Like, they, they may just leave things be and see if Pioneer reinstates itself, and if it doesn't, take another look at it. 
Or they may try to come out of the gate swinging and say, historic will indeed be paper, but this is the banned list for it. Yeah, I would act, my, my best guess is they will leave it alone and see what happens and give it a little bit of time to see if the community picks it back up or not. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, I don't think it really matters. Like, I don't think that the success of Pioneer as a format is a, is a major stumbling block for the brand in any way. I think it's like the sixth or seventh, like most important format for them to focus on um, overall. I think standard, draft, sealed, commander at the very top of the pyramid modern those are the things that matter and that's the stuff they need to support and it there are benefits to having that in intermediate format that helps standard players at the lgs level proceed but we first we need to get back into a position where those players are even a factor in sales because well, obviously they aren't right now yeah i mean there's no question that pioneer is not particularly important i mean is is any paper format like even if paper becomes relevant again what is relevant standard and maybe modern and edh like that's pretty much it um all right anyways we have a bottom challenge and a uh fascinating winner here in green red mid-range um with some cloisus season pyromancers clothes yeah clothes uh clothes or it's not cloithus it'd be there's no i in there what did I say? Clothus. Oh, right. Yeah, it is Clothus. Yeah. So anyway, I'll two Clothus. God I'm of Destiny. Sec. Karn the Great Creator. Some fun stuff going on in here. So, I mean, we've seen a bunch of variations on green-red mid-range that uses combinations of land destruction, blood moon, and utopia sprawl over the last 16 months. But this is bringing elements together from a bunch of different shells. You have blood braid elves in here to cascade into... A blood moon or cascade into a pillage and get value you have bone crusher giants making yet another appearance in modern and a completely different shell um you have four season pyromancer in the main letting you go wide um you have ty tireless trackers winning a modern challenge like is what is this jun 2016 tireless tracker was uh was definitely a legitimate card before covid hit i know that when pioneer was announced i bought a bunch of tireless trackers because i presume they'd be relevant there since they had been elsewhere well and then you've got the great karn the great creator package back on the media this was you know microsynth lattice got banned on the basis of its interaction with karn but in this package you've got karn going to get liquid metal coating which of course lets you start tapping uh uh, coding to turn off their lands like becomes tap land destruction uh, it can go relic get relic of progenitus it can go get python needle it can go get uh, trinosphere etc etc so this has a lot of angles to it and certainly is one of the reasons that kgc is back on on my radar this week we'll talk about that more a little further in uh, second place here, we have Five Color Bring Delight again. Uh, we saw this last week, um, and this is notable because it's a Bring Delight deck that, again, has given up Niv-Mizzet. Niv-Mizzet Five Color still shows up in the Pioneer list, but here, last week and this week, we see this list um, without any Niv-Mizzets at all. It's got two Teferi Time Raveler, four Dryad of the Elysian Grove, card that's selling quite well for me, four Elvish Reclaimer. I called those foils a while back. They're getting played in legacy lands they're good in edh they're getting played here that's that's a rocket ship 
two Omnath Locus of Creation, one Valky God of Lies, just good multicolor cards from recent sets, four Bring Delight, one Cleansing Wildfire, four Explorer, one Scape Shift, one Supreme Verdict, three Lightning Bolt, one Path to Exile, and 32 lands. To uh, continue ev uh, evolution of the Bring the Light strategy, uh, I don't know what else I can offer in terms of commentary, uh, but it is this far on from Battle for Zendikar, I don't think I ever would have guessed that Bring to Light would be a major component of modern. It is exactly the type of card I wanted, would have wanted to play and would have failed to make good. <laughs> and yeah. then been annoyed when somebody else did it. This is not the kind of deck I can ever see myself tuning well on my own. No. I would never come up with these numbers. That is a deck. Those are numbers that feel uh, born of experience. Yeah. Uh, this next one's real spicy. I'm calling this, because I have no idea what to call it, four-color Yorion ETBs, as in enter the battlefield triggers. Because at first I was going to call this four-color Yorion creature combo, but there aren't really creature combos in this deck. There is Kiki-Jiki Restoration Angel for the win, infinite angels tagging, but most of the rest of this is just value creatures. So you got a Renin Six, just one copy, just a random run in six, uh, which doesn't seem to have any significant interactions that I'm flagging. It's very curious, especially in an 80 card deck where you're hardly ever going to see it come up. Uh, four Birds of Paradise, one Eidolon of Rhetoric, two Eternal Witness, three Gilded Goose, that's notable, uh, one Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker, one Ma Magus of the Moon, one Omnath, four Restoration Angel, two Scavenging Ooze, four Season Pyromancer, yet another shell in modern running four ccp four skyclave apparition also uh all over the place since it was printed four stoneforge mystic four wall of blossoms and then four court of calling three lightning helix and two path to exile one batter skull and one sword to support the four stoneforge mystics four Ut utopia sprawl and 29 lands with a yorion in the sideboard yeah i'm also looking at this and trying to see if i can find something that's hiding but really there isn't i don't see anything that tutors for planeswalkers or is particularly relevant in that regard i don't see anything in the sideboard that seems to change anything and i agree that the creature package looks like it would have something clever but it doesn't really other than the kiki jiki i see that there's the scavenging news which is sometimes um present in combos but nothing here either no uh, archangel thune or anything so just seems like a bunch of good creatures. I mean, I guess you can kiki-jiki your season Pyromancer to put another Pyromancer in, go again with the Faithless looting effect, and put more tokens in play. Yeah, that's not... <laughs> I mean, that's not really what I had in mind. I, I, was, I, was, I was thinking kind of like you were, like, okay, well, surely there's got to be some infinite combos in here or something, right? Like, you know, we've got a bunch of different pieces we're going to try and shove as many of them in as we can and make it work alongside some value creatures. But no, it's just the value creatures. And again, it's odd to me that you would get to this when the green-white creature combo deck has been putting up results all year, and then you've got the green-black one with Yawgmoth that also has its own infinite combos, and then to sidestep both of those and go to this? Well, you know, it wouldn't be the first time for sure that, you know, there's been a combo deck that people that has been doing fine 
And then people play a lot of games with it and realize that the worst part of the deck is the combo. Like I, I win more regularly when I'm just playing good creatures that play good magic than I do when I'm getting like three Viseraseers stuck in my hand and, and none of the other half. Uh, so, I mean, that could have been what happened here is he just decided that instead of trying to put together a two card combo across an 80 card deck, he'd be better off just playing good cards. Well, the thing is, though, the green-white creature combo deck has four, like three or four infinite combos. So yeah. they, they have, a, as they've gotten more pieces over time, they've had much less of that problem. And that's what's made that deck very consistent this year. I also suspect that this is not this this pilot sidestepping that deck so much as this is a completely different deck project. Like, I, I suspect they didn't go from that to this. I think they just came to this for reasons that... You know, they thought the format was vulnerable to mid-range value, apparently. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting, if you compare it to the kind of play style of the first place deck, that is also largely a, a mid-range value engine that happens to run some land destruction so that they have time to get the job done. My my thinking, I, I'm not saying he started at the creature combo deck and then arrived at this, but he might have been playing the creature combo deck and said, I want to go about this differently. Seems like that might have had similar roots. Well, and they, they beat the, the green-white deck because that finished in fourth, right? So uh, yeah. So we've got the Arbor Elf, Oriak Champion, Conclave, Mentor. By the way, that those foils are drying up. That's a M21 foil. Uh, Heliod, Suncrown, Noble Hierarch, Four Ranger Captain of Eos. So... Whereas you have Season Pyromancer and these red lists and the white lists, you have the Ranger Captain of Eos. Both are going to get there. Four Skyclave Apparition again. How cheap are those? I think they've come down recently. I want to take a look at that. That yeah, that's the type of card that like I'm mildly worried about buying too many of because you know just competitive cards in this environment make me nervous. But that card has been very popular. Well, and it's also a, good, a solid EDH card. Like, yeah, it's not bad. It gets rid of any non-token permanent casting cost four or less, and gives them a blue illusion token that probably doesn't matter on those kind of board states. Um, so yeah, you can get these for seventeen right now. It's a future sixty dollar FEA. Like I, I see these the same way that I saw the Thassa's Oracle extended art foils, and people have put up some big walls along the way in these. Like Gaming Company currently has forty eight copies at seventeen. I'm tempted to just bite that all off. Like that's. $800 or so worth of these willing to bet you that turns into 2400 within two years. Skyclave's in 2600 decks, so not setting the world on fire, but uh, I mean, people are, are playing the cards. So. Well, what percentage of white inclusion is that since release? 3%. Not bad. Yeah. So it's, it's in Pioneer, it's in Modern, it's in Standard. You even see it in Legacy D&T lists. Well, the, if, if, if it's a S tier card. If we, I mean, if we were playing Paper Magic, I would be a lot hotter on it based on that. I'm, I'm personally lukewarm on the competitive stuff just because it's not a gamble I'm particularly eager to take at the moment because um, I don't feel like I'm short on anything. But if, you know, they said, okay, tomorrow Paper Magic is back, I'd be like, oh, I should get some Skyclave Apparitions because people who have not been bothering to date are suddenly going to bother. Yeah. So anyway, that was the, the green-white creature combo in fourth. Fifth place is red mid-range. Again, four Bonecrusher Giant. You just see this card over and over again in Modern lately. Um, and we're even going to see it in Legacy when we get over there, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, sixth place, we have the red-white version of the Prowess 
lists uh, featuring four clever Lumamancer, the uh, uncommon that people should buy bricks of when it gets low enough, and two Leonin Lightscribe, which uh, probably people didn't see coming as a modern card. As a 2-2 for one and a white cat cleric magecraft, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, creatures you control get plus one plus one until end of turn. Uh, running that alongside the Monastery Swift Sphere and Soulscar Mage Package, and then a whole bunch of cheap spells so that you can attack for a bajillion mana, like a bajillion damage on turn three or whatever. Cat Cleric Magecraft is quite a combination of words. <laughs> that I did not see coming for modern, yes. <laughs> uh, seventh place, we've got Eldrazi Tron. Pretty standard stock build there. Probably the most uh, notable thing is the four Karn Great Creator with all with the same package. In I think the, the most notable thing is that we haven't seen. I don't think we've seen Urzatron or Aldrazitron show up much at all. This is mm, it's been a little while. I haven't seen a Matter Reshaper or a Reality Smasher on this list in quite some time. Aldrazitron mm, was third in the modern challenge we looked at last week. Was it? Yep. Uh. Maybe just didn't make it in. Oh, we just blew past that. We just blew yeah, past it so fast. Yeah, it's no, it wasn't one of the sexier lists, so we just kind of glazed over it. And then eighth is Amulet Titan. And again, for Karn the Great Creator, completely different shell with the sideboard package. Four Dryad of the Elysian Grove. Four Amulet of Vigor that had a secret layer that's going to get there. The Primeval Titans, which are have the old border foils that are already very pricey. Uh, yeah, that's a surprising amount of Karn. A lot of Karn. In one week. That's a lot of Karn. I'm just scrolling through the list here. Hmm. All right, so moving on over to the Legacy Challenge. We have Rug Delver in first, most notably using two Brazen Borrower and two Hex Drinker in Legacy. We have Legacy Elves in a fairly standard configuration in second, probably most notable there. Uh, four Allosaurus Shepherd at a jump start. Some of those showed up pretty cheap on Amazon again today, and pro traders were biting them off because somebody posted the link right quick. Yeah, that's uh, like a $100 card, right? Right around there. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, three Natural Order. Uh, that's a Mystical Archive card. Keep your eye on. Uh, good in EDH, even if there isn't that much demand from legacy players needing it anew. Death and Taxes in third place, and this is notable. most notable inclusion here is four Elite Spellbinder. That's the uh, Poilo uh, Vito Damaderosa card, uh, his World Championship card, uh, that has shown up in top eight lists in both moders- modern and legacy within the first two weeks of release. Card's good. Card is definitely good. Um, I I have a feeling it's one of those cards that people might need to see in action before they appreciate it. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's, we're putting, seeing it put up results here, but it, it, you know, your local store it might gain some ground as people get get trounced with it and uh, have to update their impression of it. One of the things that's nice here is that in this D and T list, there are the only thing that can deal with delvers is swords of plowshares. And those, because Elite Spellbinder flies, and it's a 3-1. So, hmm. a- absent the Spellbinder, you can't block a Delver. This is true. Is there, let me see, how much Delver is on this list? We have lots. We have three Delver lists and four, uh, four, 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 Delver, four Delver lists. Yeah, still a pretty big component. Hmm. So, over in fourth I guess pl- 
He's he's just he's he's putting the screws to the Delver player. He clearly wants to be the beatdown against that deck, or at least be able to have parity in the air so that they can't press the advantage easily. Yeah. So fourth place, we have a blue red Delver list, not Rug Delver, and this has got a few notable inclusions. We got four Sprite Dragon, so Ikoria foil Sprite Dragons out of the CB is looking better and better and better, even with the ugly art. Two Ethereal Forager, that's a commander card making its way into Legacy. And you've got two Expressive Iteration, which is the sorcery from Strixhaven that we definitely did not flag as a Legacy card. There was some debate as to whether it was a Pioneer and or Modern card, but it certainly wasn't flagged as a Legacy card in our set review. Look at the top... This is telling time. Look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, put one of them on the bottom of your library, and exile one of them. You can play the exiled card this turn. That's why it's not Telling Time. Because you get to, potentially, if you have the mana, you get to play an extra card. Telling Time is a two-mon instant. Look at the top three. Put one in your hand, one on top, and one on bottom. Yeah, this but, is... but this is potentially two, because you're putting one in your hand, and you get to cast the one in exile. Yeah. yeah I mean you're right i i'm not disagreeing with that it is the same mana cost except it adds red where telling time doesn't it's a sorcery versus an instant it does give you the potential option to play two cards but i don't feel bad for not having noted this as a legacy card because that distinction is awfully minor well apparently the legacy it's good enough for legacy which means it's probably good enough for modern and pioneer which means that when russian foils of this promo show up i'm gonna be going a little deep i i actually disagree with you here uh i think that legacy more than modern or pioneer has a much uh richer vein of one mana spells which is basically what expressive iteration would need maybe zero manas maybe i i i, I it's, it's not uncommon for cards like this to play well in legacy and terrible and much worse in other formats so i'd have to see proof that it's good enough for those formats not to say that it's impossible because there could be some tricky stuff with it, especially with free cards. But I don't take that as a, a guarantee. Keep in mind, there's a blue-red prowess list in Modern that's already experimenting with the card. Sure. I mean, if, th- if that's the case, then that's fine. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's not a done deal. Yeah, I can. I, I feel you. But they keep in mind what they run in that deck. They have four Monastery Swift Spear, four Soul Scar Mage, four Sprite Dragon, and four Stormring Entity. And then the spells, all but Manamorphose, which of course is a cantrip cantrip filter and light at the stage which is typically effectively a one mana spell are one mana spells like everything else burst lightning gut shot lava dart lightning bolt mutagenic growth and serum visions is either zero or one yeah i mean if there's gonna if there's a deck in that format that wants that card that's definitely it is it a you know a format staple or is it you know a a three or four of and one archetype type of thing uh definitely a card to keep your eye on it at minimum yes uh fifth place we have a more traditional rug delver build brazen borrower delver secrets ethereal forager and tarmogoyf and then with the usual instants and sorceries uh sixth place is another rug delver but this one has two bone crusher giant two brazen borrower and four expressive iteration uh and then seventh is the is the deck of the week from a lot of people's perspective this is the uh jund arclight phoenix deck Four Arclight Phoenix, one Crocs a Titan of Death's Hunger, two Sedgemore Witch out of Strixhaven, three Witherbloom Apprentice as the combo with Chain of Smog. And I believe we saw this last week when we looked at Legacy as well. Uh, let's 
What does ward even do? I don't I don't remember what that keyword is. Ward forces them to pay extra if they want to target your creatures. Okay. That's kind of that's what I thought it was. Um so basically they've got the chain of smog combo. They can drop their arc like phoenixes into the yard with uh buried alive or their faithless lootings and discard effects, and then they can defend themselves with thought seizes and lightning bolts and either try to go wide with with the Sedgemore Witch, or swing a couple phoenixes at you, or kill you on the spot with Chain of Smog and the Wither Bloom Apprentice. Yeah, this is uh, this has got some some stuff going on, doesn't it? The Sedgemore Witch, because you can just keep casting. You have to discard your whole hand, but you end up with infinite one ones. That you can sack to gain life. That's pretty nasty. Yeah, which is good for being Storm because they don't deal infinite damage. Hmm. This is a, a fun little fun little build. So people have been experimenting with this all week. I've seen it on a bunch of streams, and I don't know if it's going to have staying power and legacy, but looks like it's doing pretty decently so far. And then eighth place, we have show and tell. Pretty standard build of that, I think. Uh, two Uro in there, four show and tell, four omniscience, and a bunch of the usual stuff. Yeah. Chain of Smog is $18 now. I've got a like foil, the- I think, posted at 120 or 130 and I will probably increase the ask on that shortly yeah it's i think it's likely to stay there reminds me of tainted pact which i remember we saw it like 50 or 60 bucks i'm like what the hell is this get your money and run boys and then it's now it's like 70 it's like okay all right sure yep uh yeah i mean if they if it's not too good in the sense of being like dominating top eights and getting banned then change of smog's gonna make money yeah, I mean, everyone was like, ah, oh, is this good or not? Like, we don't know what to make of it. Uh, yep, turns out that combo was good enough. All right, so over to uh, top paper movers, starting with Mana Vault Foils from Ultimate Masters. This is not box topper, just pack foil. They were already in the mid-200s. Now they're in the mid-300s for something like 40 to 50% gains. Very few copies in the market. And this is what happens when you take a major mana rock from EDH and you don't print it very often. Like they've mm-hmm. they've been very much more aggressive with mana crypt than mana vault, and I suspect very very much suspect that they will come back around to a mana vault printing within the year. But does that matter? Like whatever that gets down to, you just buy them. Because it's gonna it's gonna be a pull a similar stunt to mana crypt what mana crypt does pretty much every time they print it. Um, yeah, Monoval reprint would definitely be a buy as many as you can for as cheap as you can because it will see a good bump. Because we had the, the Ultimate Masters and the Kaladesh Invention copies and, and there that's was... it. Fourth, fifth, and then UMA and in the Invention. Yep. So do, do for some kind of superior treatment along the way, but who who cares? <laughs> what that that's not going to do anything here and and these foils were definitely under 80 dollars at one point oh yeah i don't doubt it i don't doubt it so and uma was only a few years ago um looks like the bob ross planes non-foil um but what i'm sorry what'd you say non-foil non right the non-foil bob ross planes number 100 from secret layer three to five uh okay i mean i'm not i guess i'm not terribly terribly surprised i mean the secret layers have done well and it's a special land i want to look this up so i can look at it but finding the art 
network is so annoying. Well, well here's from the right secret layer. Well, just just type in planes and in brackets a hundred, and you'll find it right okay. away on TCG. Here we go. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's man, that's fine. I'm not really impressed with it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. People were using this as a as the pivot point for discussing whether the text the text lands that were announced for secret layer that's on sale currently and will be on sale for the next month were worth going after or not. And people in the, our ProTrader Discord will make, were making the argument that, you know, these haven't really gone anywhere yet. And then other people were saying, yeah, but the winter out drain snowlands did very well. And let's put it this way. The Bob Ross thing as a press release sounds cute, but these just look like normal lands. Like the Bob Ross art style is not distinctive enough to be differentiated. So there's not a tremendous reason to pursue these. And yet, you're already seeing movement on them. They didn't come out that long ago. And give it another 6 to 12 months, these will probably hollow out. There are currently 70 listings of these left. You can still get copies under $3. Right? So these these are not... I don't know how real the $5 number is for now. But these will hollow out. Just because, actually, actually, I'm looking at foil and non-foil. Non-foil, there's only 26 results left. And there's a there's now a, since we put this list together, there's a seller up there with 18 copies at $2 a piece plus 78 cents shipping. How much you want to bet that the buy list support on these in a year will be double or triple that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that seems roughly fair. So, I'm sorry. I guess I, I must have missed this conversation. The argument or the discussion point in the Discord was that the Bob Ross lands would be the frame of reference for the text lands. Is that accurate? Would be them not moving super hard or fast gave some people pause as to whether they should pursue the text-based lands. Now, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll get into why, like, this is on my cards to watch list this week. So we'll have an expansive discussion on that down below. Okay. I, I will say that I find... I, I, I don't know the language that was used, so I don't know how strong people were, but I would have taken issue with that position. I would have been like, you're, you're for exactly the reason you outlined, the Bob Ross land, it's nifty that it says Bob Ross, but in practice, it's uh, I, I, exactly the same as every other planes. And the pr presentation value is low. Yeah. So Paradox Engine, Masterpiece Inventions from 64 to 98. It's banned in EDH, but still drying up along with all the rest of the inventions. I've definitely made money on these along the way, then got caught holding, I don't know, three or four copies probably. I put those off to the side until they fully dry up. Then I'll go ahead and repost them, and collectors who want to finish those sets will have to snap them off where they can. Uh, yep, those are... Getting low. Paradox Engine, yeah. Uh, Sarah the Benevolent out of Modern Horizons. We haven't really talked about this at all. Um, but the foils here on the move, 60 to 100 for a pretty solid move. Uh, not not a double up, but not too far off. For a card that really... God, have we talked about that card before? Like, <laughs> really has not hit our radar. This is the... the Four mono white planeswalker from Modern Horizons. It, you know, buffs your creatures to give them flying in one one, or creates a four no, four angel it, token. No, it only buffs your flyers. Right, and that's Sorry, why, yes. and that's why it has a fairly modest representation in EDH because the two main abilities 
are the first one plus two is good in a flyers deck but there aren't that many popular commanders that focus on that and then the minus three basically makes a sarah angel yeah which is which is a middling creature at best in vh yeah but yeah. this is villanueva art it's lovely in foil and this is more of a collector piece than it is a edh card yeah so i mean i guess uh, like sure the foils went up i mean i wouldn't have picked it before i'm not terribly surprised to see it here just based on modern horizons getting a little older and people wanting to own foil sarahs but uh, whatever i i would you know I, I wouldn't mind selling this because yeah maybe they reprint it maybe they don't but it's just collector value really yeah uh robert the rich the ex foil extended arts yep. i believe we're looking at here uh we are seeing 30 to 52 so almost a double up this is a human archer rogue so three relevant words if you think we're going to if we think the sort of party mechanic type mechanic is is going to come up in the dnd set this summer um there, there, I, there's one I, listing for this left on TCG at 70 bucks. I guess I don't quite... Is, is Throne of Drain still legal and standard? Fall 2019 to fall 2021? Yes. For now. Okay, it did. That was 2019. And it definitely saw standard play. And you've seen Robber show up as far... I think it's made a couple of minor inroads into modern along the way. But it doesn't see tremendous EDH play, so I'm a little mystified here, other than people assuming that this will be made more relevant by the D&D set, which will be standard legal. It does seem like that would be the intention here, which I... Sure, man, have at it. Like, I don't want to be part of that game. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to chase these, but I don't know where you would be buying copies anyway. I'm sure if we look over in Europe, they're going to be dirt cheap. Yeah, I just, I, I just don't... I don't know why you would buy that unless you have inside line that like this yeah. is going to be really relevant. Yeah. I mean, it's showing up in decks here and there, but I don't know if there was a streamer deck this week that made it look real sexy or what. Um, but there's none left. So <laughs> it's a mid-tier foil extended art from a year and a half ago that's $70 plus according to TCG now. Take that for mm -hmm. what you will. Uh, next on the list, we got Striking Sliver out of M14. Foils from 6 to 11. It's a common... But what this should signal to you is slivers are eternal in Magic the Gathering. And when they print new ones, you should buy some. Hmm. You'll, you'll be waiting a little while on some of them, but uh, ultimately you probably won't be disappointed. Well, like first sliver. It's, especially, if if they're, it, especially if they're mythic, they tend to be hard to miss with. When they print slivers, buy the old ones. <laughs> yeah, or exactly. If they've, if they've retreated or, you know. Focus on them by rarity. The thing about it, if they print, uh, you know, a hot sliver foil in a core set, which is gone now, so that's not going to be easy to do. Um, but if they print it into standard, they print foils at such a high rate that, you know, it, it wouldn't be the same as the M14 foils in terms of its appreciation. You would really be looking for them to print a, a great sliver at rare and, have, and focus on the foil extended art. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next on the list, we got the Locust God, MPS Invocations from Amit Ket block, uh, going from 140 or, and change to, say, 260 and something, so 80% gains. Those are just drying up along with all the other masterpieces. And Locust God is quite a good card and plays well with a lot of the blue-red spells out of uh, the Prismari 
school? It it is all of those things, but wasn't it really ugly? No, they have really like, they have really nice art, but I would say that as with many of the as I've always said about the invocation art, it's actually some of the best art in Magic's history as a as a group. But the framing of it, a lot of these the images are quite grand and don't you don't get the detail at all in the inside the invocation frame you know it it it's um yes not only is this one in particular very detailed because they drew all the locusts in but it was it, it's kind of a nifty piece of art but honestly it doesn't look like a it doesn't look like the locust god like it's just the doorway to a temple essentially and like the locust god is like coming out of a sarcophagus i guess and it's but, like, and, and it's, it's it's deeply in shadow and so forth yes yeah. and it's a very dark art so it's like it's a, this seems in particular to suffer from the small frame because it seems like it could be really nifty but it's so small that it's hard to appreciate yeah like yeah but in any case the inventions are inventions and even though they're weird as hell people are attracted to them. You've you got two copies. reasons. You got two copies of this listed on TCG Player right now: two fifty and five hundred. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, if it was one forty-five before, I mean, it's probably a two hundred dollar card. I, I think it's a five hundred dollar card because it's just there's no restock point on these. They it's somewhere you're gonna get deals done on Facebook somewhere between three hundred and four hundred right now probably. You think, huh? Yep, because there's just no. If somebody wants one, they gotta they gotta pay the asking price. Pay the. Uh... Now, the price this is the kind goes. of this is the kind of stuff where some copies may flow into the market when buy lists resume, but a that's a ways off still. Like I don't think there's going to be any major events in 2021, so you got at least six to nine months to still skirt the edges of that problem. And even when they do, it's much more of a thing for current standard rares and mythics than it is for an invocation that's seven years old. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. per day on a GP floor. Even at a, like say Vegas, how many copies of this are going to get turned in, and how many yeah. and how many won't be flipped out the same day? You'll have you'll have like at a GP maybe one or two people who decide to sell their copies because they want to you know p- pay for whatever a new card or their card note or whatever. But you're right, like the the supply on these is not going to move quickly. And even if a couple of them do get sold, the people who end up buying them aren't going to be getting rid of them. So I would agree that uh, those are going to be probably not really suffer from the return of GPs at all. Talisman of Dominance, the original foil from Mirrodin, 44 to 88. Only uh, foil. The Yeah, the only foil. Um, the, the, talis- the-, the Talismans have inexplicably dodged reprints for many years with the only non-gold-bordered reprint being Arch Enemy Nickel Bolas, if you can believe that. Yeah, they are, I think, too too good for the most part. I think they're overpowered for many different printings, and they are too good in uh, to put in like Modern Horizons or anything like that. Like you could, they could have tossed them in some of these other like pre pre boxed sets. Well, like a Commander or, Legends type product or a Secret Layer. They could, yeah, they could so- print all five. Yeah, stuff like that. But I mean, I could see them because I'm thinking like, oh, you could put them in one of those pre pre canned things where, you know, you have like 60 card decks or something and it doesn't matter that they're kind of overpowered because who cares? But then you end up putting like way too much value in those things and the people who want to buy them can't buy them because people are buying them for the talismans. 
Uh, but yeah, this, um, well, I mean, we'll see him again eventually, a secret layer, sure. I, I, as for the old border foils, I mean, they're like all the other, or not old well, border foils, the original foils. Yeah. All the, as for all original foils, it's like, you know, they're going to print this in a modern border again. Or. And this is a modern border, too. Well, maybe and, you made a Freudian slip there. They're really nice as an inclusion in the next time they do old border foils. True, true. If they, yeah, if they were to go that route. Um, I'm just thinking like if they reprint this, it will look similar to this most likely. So they the original Mirrodin copy will not hold much appeal. Uh, as everyone has heard me say a million times, the Mirrodin foils are particularly bad. Uh, so, I mean, will the price on these go down? No, but, but at the same time, like, uh, I'd sure, whatever. Two copies listed on TCG, 99 and 279. Yeah. So... Huh. I, I, I don't think there's any version of this they can print that has a whit, will make a whit of difference for the original foils. And it doesn't matter that the Mirrodin foils aren't nice. That's not even the issue. It's just no. that this is the original printing and you can't get it anywhere else. And you, it slides into a bunch of EDH decks and blue, black in particular needs mana rocks more than the other color combinations or basically anybody who's not using, that's using green. And so this, this could be a future $500 card. Easy. sure why not like they you, they're not going to change hands and, and none of us are going to do much traffic in them because we probably don't have them and we no. probably would have sold them along the way by now but if you have one or two of these sitting around no rush sure yeah you might as well type of thing it's also uh, the kind of thing where if i was like running around in akihabara with you for a day i'd be <laughs> keeping a sharp eye out for some japanese copies yeah would you you would uh you you like the the Japanese copies of this? Oh yeah. Cuz they'd be so underpriced. Like in Japan that this could be 10 to 20 dollars if you found it in the right store. What if it's 80? Still buy it. Yeah. No no mm. doubt in my mind. Cuz okay. it has zero language barrier and it has cool factor as the sexiest version available. Pretty I sure suppose. I'm not sure if Russian Mirrodin exists. I think it does. But those would be uh, exceedingly rare. No. English Spanish, French, German, Italian, Portuguese, Japanese, and two Chinese. Okay, well then Japanese is the best version. This is true. I can't argue with that. Potentially Korean, depending on if you're into that. But, I mean, the Korean magic scene is so disconnected like from anything. Like, literally never gets brought up in our Discord. <laughs> there are a few of us that would be happy to take on a Korean foil as, you know, roughly equivalent to, say, German or Japanese. But... I can't name any Korean magic players. I can't name any Korean stores. I've never seen any arbitrage discussion with the country. It's, it's it's like it's like China. It's like utterly isolated. It's funny that you say that because they basically uh, didn't exist. Or I'm sorry, they were at one point the premium version of a lot of cards because there was a subset of years where cards were printed in Korean. And so you could get like Korean mono leaks and stuff that were really nifty. And they were essentially the best, the most premium language. And then they started printing stuff in Russian more. Um, and then the Korean wasn't seen as much popularity, but there was a window where people really liked those. Boy, I've been snapping off some Russian foil mystical archives where I, where I spot them on eBay. Ooh. They use the uh, global art, of course. But yep. they are super duper rare because there's no collector boosters. 
Oh, yeah. And so, and you need like, I think you need something like 13 boxes of collector boosters to get a full set of the foil mystical archives. But you need, you need like a thousand boxes to get a full foil set out of set boosters. And Russian doesn't even have set boosters. They just have regular boosters. So does that mean, is there anything that doesn't exist in Russian? Like, well, there's no, you can't, well, obviously the Japanese art is only, is unique to the Japanese products in the English collector boosters. Um, So everybody else just has the global art and the, and the, and the Russians don't have extended arts or foil extended arts from Strixhaven. They really, they only have foil Russian global art mystical archives. Okay, so there, there's no extended art Russian cards from Strixhaven. There's also because no... Because they didn't have collector boosters. Correct. And there's no okay. etched foils in Russian. So the sexiest thing you can get in Russian is a foil Russian. Oh, or the etched foils collector boosters only. Correct. They have their own slot in the collector boosters. Right. That, that part I do remember, but I, I uh, forgot that they were CB only. And for most people, that's, that seems like it's going to be a total non-factor because nobody seems excited now that they've seen them in hand etched is very much has already inverse like when wizards made a big deal out of etched ahead of during the Strixhaven preview season and hype cycle they made that sound like that was the penultimate version of the cards in the product formulation but it turns out in hand it's very clearly the foils not the etched foils that that would make it the penultimate version it would make it one before the ultimate okay if I misuse the word, <laughs> then the ultimate version. Um, yeah, so the, you know, there's probably a market for some of the etched cards. Currently etched is now, a week later, being priced closer to the non-foil version because not that many set booster, Japanese set booster boxes have been opened yet. And, but a lot of CBs, English CBs have been opened. And so there's probably there's more foil etched Japanese mystical archives than there is non-foil Japanese mystical archives currently in the market. But we are expecting a fairly major wave of Japanese set boosters to hit uh, in North America and within the month. At which point, I would imagine those will start evening out. I think there's an argument to be made to go taking a close look at some of the competitive playable cards in in Japanese foil etched if they are at the same price as the regulars because. They are strictly better <laughs> than the non-foil versions, and if you have to choose between the two, you may as well get the foil etched. Um, but I wouldn't pay more for the foil etched because the the a I don't think they're rare overall, and b it in the same way that people have said extended arts were going to be in an awkward spot because they're not the worst and they're not the they're not the cheapest and they're not the best version the foil etched is absolutely in that has that problem. Whereas I don't think extended arts actually do. Um, so stuff like lightning bolt will probably do just fine. Um, but yeah, I would agree that the appeal of those in general is you're, you have to thread a needle almost Yeah. with who wants that card. Yeah. Um, so moving along on the list here, Sky Shroud, Poacher, and of Nemesis foils 35 to something like 75 or 80. That's EDH Elf decks, and it's an old border foil. Uh, lot, there's hundreds of old border foils we could have put on this list this week. They're un- under across-the-board pressure, uh, presumably on the, the predication that there's no way to 
restock these in any meaningful way. Um, anybody who wants to finish sets of foils from any of these old sets has to go through the gatekeeping of picking these off from vendors one by one. And there's also this feeling that if Wizards is going to do an old border foil set every year, it's going to keep the focus on those. Do people expect them to do that yearly? Wizards basically more or less said they, they would be doing it semi-regularly. I, I expect it's like once a year. Mm-hmm. Could be once yeah. every two, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's such a be- like a lovely gold mine for them. The well is so deep in a way that Masterpieces never was. It's very cool. I would love to see more of it. I really like them. I I'm, I guess past Wizards has generally been a little uh, conservative with how fast they roll some of that stuff out. But maybe I'm thinking more about Wizards from 2017, not Wizards from 2021. Sure. Flying Carpet from Arabian Nights is holding the, the flag up for the old random cards that aren't even on the reserve list but are still going through the roof. 30 to 78 sure overgrown Mm -hmm. tomb foil from ravnica 90 to 300 or so there are basically none of these around this is the original foil printing from 20 years ago it's a future thousand dollar card happy to go on record on that statement i saw your note on that that's uh that's a claim all right i here's the thing it's the much more relevant duel than duels played in more formats has has a better bigger profile. Original printing's never going to get any less scarce. Year after year after year, those are going to get sucked into EDH collections and collector collections and vendor holding pens for future profit, and just gets worse and worse and worse and harder and harder to find. So, if you ever want to own any of the original shock foils, find the best deal you can, buy in now, put it in a deck, triple sleeve it, three two or three years look. Look at the price; you'll be very happy. Well, you know, I uh, it's a it's a strong claim, but I don't think it's necessarily wrong. Uh, I I would include the caveat that I might be a little choosy about which ones I I went with. Some of the original art is very good. Some of the original shock art is not. And if I'm picking and choosing between them, I want the ones that are better artwork and are likely to succeed sooner rather than later. Um, I think like Hallowed Fountain had a really cool and, and a little more iconic art. Overgrown Tomb, if I recall, was just kind of also murky. I, I don't uh, think art even matters. Like if you're paying a thousand dollars for a foil shock down the road, it has zero to do with the art. You just you well, just want the oldest, hardest to find version of the card. Let, let me let me put it this way. I think that uh, the other ones with good art will get there faster. So if you're choosing between them, I'd rather have the one that seems like people will like it more sooner. Yeah, that's a fair point. But but then again, if Hallow Fountain's already twice the price of Overgrown Tomb, then it's a different different. You're equation. saying all else being equal, pick the one with the good art. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. The um, what do you think about the the three Shockland bundles for the Secret Lair? Uh, I was going to talk about these when we got further down to your pick okay um but you know now now is as good a time as any the takeaway here because there has been a conversation in the discord um about these shock bunches and the the appeal here uh from what i understood was that you were you would be buying the like full shock 
Lan pack. And it was it's $120 for 15 shock lands. So you end up paying about eight bucks a shock. And these are non-foil, just like the the they just look like basic shock lands. They're I don't even remember what the gimmick is in the art, but they're essentially just normal copies of shock land for eight bucks. Um and there was some conversation about them being really good and like, oh, it's free money, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I I looked at breeding pool at the time and the low, the cheapest breeding pool right now is like 22 bucks. So, I mean, paying $8 for breeding pool looks really great. But I, I made a point to go through and check all, t- all 10 because I was kind of curious. And for the most part, they aren't really, they're better than eight, but like kind of marginally, right? Breeding pool and uh, one of the other Blood ones. Crypt. Blood Crypt is is like t- both over twenty, but then you've got like two, like three of them are like eleven dollars, and a couple of them are like eight and nine, like not that much better. Uh, so I'm kind of not that excited about the, that package, and it's not to say that you'll lose money, but I find the idea of them being very profitable uh, something that I'm having difficulty agreeing with, and I'm trying to figure out if I'm missing something or what. Nope, I'm on the same wavelength, and I like my selection from this from this much more than I like going deep on the shocks. I think the shocks will be fine, especially for the Discord members that can sell via TCG Direct, where they're going to get a premium just for being direct sellers. They're probably just going to... It's not my kind of sale. This is going to be them getting in at like 8 or whatever, because say they're they're thirty dollars for three, but there's probably some bonus including in, included in these. And if you buy all of them, there there is a discount. Like the super shock bundle is one twenty, right? One twenty for fifth for for fifteen. Fifteen. So you paid eight bucks a piece. Yeah, that's the best value. Yeah. So if you go like that, and then you're going to end up unloading them a year from now on TCG Direct at fifteen, you're doing very well. Like that's totally a fine, but a fine pickup. But it's not. If I've got to sell them on eBay and compete with people at like twelve ninety nine for the first six months, I'm much less much less inclined. There is one set of three that I feel differently about. If so, it, if you can get uh, what you call it, if you can get fifteen bucks a piece for these, I mean that changes the math enough that like yeah, that's that's very good. Uh, I mean then you're talking about almost a double up, but if you're buying in bulk. And you're selling them in groups of twos and fours and sixes. And if you even manage to ship them off the TCG direct and you don't have to do any of the work, then by all means. Uh, but I think for like the average listener, there's just so many other things I'd rather spend my money on. There's two of these that are worth flagging. The Bant one is the only opportunity to get the breeding pool. And the breeding pool is $25 in the market right now. I suspect the Bant one will get there just on the strength of the breeding pool. Uh, it's that's possible. I mean, obviously, what, what's the price for that one? Twenty nine ninety nine. So thirty bucks. So you're you're buying the breeding. You're kind of like buying the breeding pool at market. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, just the fact that only one of these is in each bundle. And only one of the, this is the only, Culture Shock's Bant is the only one you can buy if you want the breeding pool. It means there will be less of the breeding pools in the market as compared to something like the, I think it's, uh, let me see an example here. Um, 
The Stomping Grounds is in two of them, I believe. The Blood Crypt yep. is in two. It's it's the enemies are in one and the buddies are in two. The allies are in two. Got it. Is the way it worked out. It was an uneven distribution. Yeah. So, and also in Esper, you have a pretty nice uh, almond cat with the big bolus horns in the background. Uh, Godless Shrine, which is likely to, to do pretty well. But the, the other one I would look at other than the Culture Shock's Bant is the Culture Shock's Grixis. Because this has a Seb McKinnon Blood Crypt. So... Seb Art on a Shock is probably going to do pretty well by itself. You do like your Seb McKinnon. Well, no, I just the market likes Seb McKinnon. Like he's recognized as one of the top five mar- mar- magic artists working today. So this, he just did a massive Kickstarter, and successfully. So his appeal is widely proven. Oh, and, is that what that was? I saw his name floating around, but I wasn't sure what it was. Yeah, I mean, he raised ridiculous amounts of money, and so him doing a Blood Crypt means that Blood Crypt's going to do well. And then the other, the thing is that the Grixis package has just, has three great duels. You've got Steam Vents, which is played in every blue-red deck in Modern and, and EDH, with, See, with, so, with decent art. And then the Watery Grave art is the best Watery Grave art there's ever been. The Steam Vents, I was really surprised to see the average price of a Steam Vents is like 12 bucks. I would have expected it to be one of the most expensive ones. So I will probably buy one full bundle maybe two full bundles of the shocks to get the 120 discount and then buy a couple extra of culture shocks grixis and vant you like the watery grave art in the secret layer more than anything else more than any of the other watery grave arts for sure eh, i think i like the expedition one okay i'm, I'm talking about only in regular regular versions oh uh i still probably uh yeah that's fine i i I would have to think about it. I do like how vivid the blue is, although that doesn't really speak to the nature of the land. It's high saturation, but it's also the only one that actually depicts a watery grave. Uh, that is true. <laughs> Whereas all the, all the like all the steam vents always made sense because they were placed on Ravnica, and that's a big is it thing that they have big steam steam driven facilities and elect, elect like electrical based experiments and so forth, and. That steam vents from Ra- the last Ravnica block is definitely the nicest um, in, on that side of things. This one's fine, but I think the, the last one that was in standard is better because it had that big light, lightning storm or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, the steam vents have been... Anyway, these, these are going to do... will do well given some time. I think it's this is more of a could your money accelerate faster elsewhere thing than it is whether these will get there eventually. Right, I I would agree with you that I'm not necessarily claiming your hypothesis is incorrect. I am not eager to test it. Also notable that Wizards declined to offer a foil option here. They didn't want to put a price point out there on a secret layer that would have justified that. Because that probably would have been a 99.99 secret layer or something. And they don't seem quite ready to put those out in the market. Uh, I'm sorry. To put a price point out there for what now? A foil version of these Shockland sets. There's no foil option. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I didn't really... I don't know. I, I guess I, I didn't think much of that. They, they all, I actually thought it was a little odd that they didn't bother. They also... Well, no, because they, they've just refused to offer price points for individual secret layers that are that high. 
they, they clearly don't want to do that in the market yet. I, I think they mm-hmm. will ramp up to that, but they haven't done it yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they, I agree they absolutely will. And it's it's also interesting that the bundles, both the the Super Shock bundle and the individual bundles of three, don't have seem to have any extras promised. There's no arenas, arena codes, no Magic Online codes, and it's unclear whether there will be any other bonus in these. Well, I do wonder if they're going to uh, start to to walk that stuff back possibly just be, not not walk it back but like slow down on how much of that they release because they 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 got everyone right everyone's in they're buying secret layers now they don't need the extra incentive well it's definitely worth flagging though from a flipper's perspective because those codes tend to end up being worth five to ten dollars sometimes more depending on which one you're talking about like i just paid somebody in our discord because i forgot to buy the uh the tarot card looking lands uh secret layer that was available in the winter time and i wanted the swamp as a sleeve on magic arena and paid somebody eight bucks for that i think on on ebay they go for 12 or 15 or something oh my god so when you're buying but if you're getting like a 30 dollar thing and you can get five to ten dollars of value out of the codes that's a nice nice little plus that helps you get there um, if, they're, if, if they're not going to offer that, then you need to be aware. I, I would agree that that is a very, a, a, certainly a relevant component of the, well, evaluating the packages. Every bone in my value-driven body shudders at the idea of paying $8 for digital sleeve art. <laughs> Just as someone who, you know, exclusively plays with, you know, solid color sleeves and paper. It's the first time I've ever paid money into Arena. Other than the five dollars to get started or whatever. Okay. Um, so the also worth flagging that this sale that goes on until May twenty eighth. So you don't need to tie up, like commit your money now, but you can place your order. And I think they bill you when they ship, if I'm not mistaken. So whether you put the order in now or put the order in later it doesn't really matter. Wait, I thought the oh I was saying wasn't the bill when ship one of the benefits of those proposed secret layer memberships. Or am I thinking of just ships on order? No, I think it was that they get priority. Okay. They would ship first, which okay. is perfect for flippers, right? They want to be first to market. Yeah. Um, although I would argue with secret layers, often the best option was just to wait six months until the they hollowed out on the good ones and then just sell into the, the very steep ramp that tends to build up. That seems to be... Uh... The wisdom that I gathered from our conversations. All right. Top paper mover, best of the week. Beacon of creation at a fifth dawn makes a bunch of uh, insect tokens equal to number of forests you control, if I'm not mistaken. Six to 22 non-foil on the back of Adrix and Nev, I presume. Uh, the new Quandrix commander that doubles your token creation. Yeah, sure. I, I, uh, I had to double check this. I didn't think... It had been, I, I thought it, there might have was another reprint somewhere, but I guess not. On over to top Magic Online movers of the week, we've got Magma Opus out of Strixhaven, uh, going from about three and a half tickets to almost seven on the back of Standard Play. Uh, there is a Prismari mid-range deck going around in Standard. Valakit the Molten Pinnacle, fancy version from about 1.5 ticks to three ticks, constant usage in Modern and probably EDH. Uh, Sedgemore Witch uh, on the back of that Legacy deck going from uh, three and a half tickets to eight plus, uh, seeing some Legacy play and probably some play in Standard as well. 
Uh, also worth flagging for Magic Online that the, I think we talked about last week or the week before, must have been last week, about how Prismari Command was way too high. It got up to like 45 tickets or something. <laughs> and then people shorted it. And as of today, as of tonight, at the time of this recording, it is down to, uh, looks like 14 and a half tickets. So people could have made 30 ticks a copy on that short. That's uh, In five certainly days. good enough. Yep. Very reliable. Like a, a standard, an imprint standard rare that is heavily drafted at the outset of a set's debut cannot hold that kind of price tag. I, uh, I hear stuff like that. It makes me want to get into like the moto shorting and stuff. But at the same time, I would have to install moto on this computer. And <laughs> I'm, that's not going to happen. It's also just a whole other to... thing to track, right? Like I, I'm only yeah. dabbling in the magic online scene here and there based on some like key information in the pro trader discord i just don't have time to to get into it the way that i used to um yeah i used to manage ten thousand tickets on there but no longer just not enough time all right so moving right along here cards to watch yeah that would be the, the segment we're on uh, you've got uh, the floor here this is a big fat segment all right Bone Crusher Giant Foil Showcase is already uh, flagged this, this in the Discord last week. You can get these in and around 8 bucks in Europe. And on TCG Player, they are already pushing, let's see, Foil Showcases from Throne of Eldraine, pushing 10 or $11. You can get them a little cheaper in Europe, save 2 or 3 bucks. Steep Ramp, 17 results left on TCG Player. If this keeps showing up in Modern, these are going to dry up and they're going to be $25 plus card. I we had talked about this at one point, and I don't remember where, but it was fairly recently we talked about whether these were viable or not. I think we just talked about it when we saw them showing up in modern lists in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. In any case, I mean the card is shows up over and over and over again uh, in all these formats. I would like to see. A return to see a return to paper while this is still relevant. Um, although at the moment I don't see it getting outclassed anytime soon, it's managed to hold its position in these extra formats for nigh two years now, so uh, unlikely to just get completely flattened uh, with the release of Modern Horizons 2 or anything like that. Uh, so sure, I, I I I I'm looking at it and I'm just trying to remember because I know I've like talked about this and looked at this before. I'm trying to place where it was. Uh, yes, I do think that these will will work out in the long term, just based on how popular it's been. Just across the modern and like just oh, across wow, the the two eighteen vendors. Well, yeah, and just across the two modern the two challenges we looked at today, the modern challenge and legacy challenge. It was in three of the top sixteen lists. Yeah. Yeah, and they were, the, and they were the, totally different shells. The current, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? I don't know. It, at the moment, it is absolutely a relevant component of all these formats. There's no question about that. And you're just wondering whether it will, still will be when paper is relevant. Yeah, it's just like okay, can it? It's it's really good now. Can it hang on? Will it still be there when we get back to paper? But I I think it will. Like I don't I can't imagine if it's been this long that it will falter uh, that hard. If we have to wait another couple months, I don't think that's probably a big deal. All right, what's your first pick? 
Um, so this one popped up on my radar. It's a little bit of a stretch, but I, I think there's real potential in this. Uh, Immolating Gyre out of Jumpstart. So you probably don't know what this card is, and I, I'm not nope. saying you had to, had to look it up. Yeah, but most of our listeners. But this is a six mana red sorcery. It deals X damage to each creature and planeswalker you don't control, where X is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. So it deals damage to everything you don't control, equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard. That This is basically like a six mana plague wind in Garrick's Wake. Like a one, this is a, a, a one-sided wrath basically for six mana and red. Like on average, your six mana is going to get you somewhere between six and I would imagine 12 damage, depending on how you build your deck, which will kill most everything. This, I, like I had to, I did a double take when I saw this because I'm like, wait, it's, you don't control? Uh, because that is a very potent effect in EDH where you can wipe everyone else's board and then just be in. Um, is a jumpstart mythic. It's the only printing it has. So that puts it in Company of Allosaurus Rider, a mythic that's $100. Uh, Emil, the unicorn that's like 25 or 30. There's also uh, another one whose name, oh, the Bruvac, the Grand Delinquent. There's another Jumpstart Mythic who's also like 25 or 30 bucks. So there's a couple Mythics from this set. Like the, the, the Mythics limited to this, to Jumpstart, have all done pretty well for themselves. Um, and Immolating Geyer is currently three bucks. Now, it is only in 440 EDH Rectax, right? Very little. I, I can't imagine that that will stay like that. This card is too good to be that unpopular. Um, I, I feel like I've said this before, maybe this will backfire. I don't know for sure, but this is, uh, this is a very potent card for three bucks in a set that has so little supply out there. All it's got to do is show up on command, command cast or whatever. And I feel like this is going to go wild and it with magecraft or uh right that's one magecraft is a current mechanic that pays you for all these instants and sorceries <gasps> this if you buy it at three or three fifty now my goal is 15 bucks like i think that's where you're going to shoot to get out the, the, this has a lot in common with my next selection and i'll, I'll, I'll talk about them in in the same breath the i flagging Velomachus Lorehold, the dragon, Lorehold dragon from Strixhaven, specifically the foil borderless. You can pick them up in Europe around $12. I think eventually it's going to be a $30 card. Both of these cards have the same thing in common, that EDH rack isn't showing the demand. And so it's one of these cases where you're putting yourself out there as saying, like, I, I am more clever than the market, and the market will eventually get up to speed and agree with me. And... It has the same kind of flavor as the Martin Stromgold selection that you talked about for a couple of years in a row. These are both super playable EDH cards. Whether or not they're going to get drained out and how fast that might happen, I, I can't really say. Geyer seems fine. I, I don't know if it's a priority. Velomachus Lorehold. There's a lot of big fancy creatures that you can play in EDH. This got on my radar because uh, Caleb uh, D on on Twitch was running a deck in Modern called Modern Poly Dragons, where it was Omens of the Sea, Explore, Renin Six, and Grow Spiral. 
solve the equation, savor the moment, Valakut Awakening, four Teferi Time Raveler, two Polymorph, four Transmogrify, Jace the Mind Sculptor is Tamio Collector of Tales, four Time Warp, and two Villamacus Lurehold. And the whole deal was they would he would generate a token off of Dwarven Mine out of Eldraine, and then polymorph it into a Velomachus, which has flying vigilance and haste, is a 5-5 Elder Dragon. When it attacks, you look at the top seven cards of your library, and you can cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value equal to or less than Velomachus's power. So you basically get Velomachus in play, attack, find a time warp, cast it, repeat. So that seems uh, viable. Cute. It's a it's a cute little fringe deck for modern, right? But it, mm-hmm. it demonstrates the power of a dragon that has haste and can cast something out of the top seven cards of your library. Mm-hmm. So I suspect over t- and and the borderless foil version, of course, shares that slot in the CBs with Mystical Archives and with uh, and with the foil borderless planeswalkers. So there aren't that many of them running around and. Just seems to me like one of these. Given all the focus on mystical archives, you and I were talking off cast about how there is, um, there's definitely cards that are falling under the radar, and I suspect this might be one of them. It's a pretty big, cool, dirtily dragon that Timmy's will love, and <clears throat> I think the foil borderless calling that to pick them up in Europe at twelve and get out at over thirty, say a year plus from now, seems fine. And this is the foil borderless copies we're talking about. Yeah. It's a cool artwork. Yeah, looks good. On those. Scary looking dragon. Uh, yeah, big nifty. Um, I, I mean, I like this card a lot too. It reminds me of Airtai, whose name I was struggling to remember the other week. Uh, no, not Airtai. God damn it. Narset? No. Atali? Atali, yeah. Primal. primal yeah, Atali Storm. Primal Storm. Yeah. Um, r- roughly in the same space. Uh, I, I mean, the Velomachus is a, a very cool card. And I mean, if you're get you know, the TCG low on these foil borderless is 18 right now. So if you're paying 12, then sure, by all means, uh, go wild. I, I mean, I agree that they're roughly the same space, um, Emily and Geyer and Velomachus, where you're, it's, it's a touch more speculative, I suppose, than some of our, the other things we talk about. I think I think Geyer is probably more so. Velomachus seems pretty pretty straightforward. A, l- a little more straightforward than Geyer does, which could flounder and go absolutely nowhere for years, possibly. Yep. Um, All right, so we, 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 we're, we're past our lowest priority picks. Let's move on. <laughs> My next one is, uh, is a lot more straightforward, but I, you know, we, everyone is talking about the um, Strixhaven, Mystical Archives, the Japanese ones, blah, 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 all this good stuff. And the Time Spiral Remastered is, is quickly fading into the rearview mirror. So I went and checked out some price graphs, and it really looks like everything that I'm checking seems to have gotten pretty close to leveling off. Um, obviously, I'm not prescient, but I see a lot of lines that dipped down and have gotten flat. So I think we're probably close to the floor on a good bunch of this stuff, or or within 10% of the floor. So that set me back looking to see uh, if there's a, what, what else is floating around out there that looks like it might be worth catching. Uh, and one of the ones that caught my attention was Grey Merchant of Asphodel. And I didn't expect this to be one of the ones that I'd be talking about, but it looks pretty solid. So Grey Merchant is, uh, again, we're talking about the Time Spiral Remastered Old Foil, so the Old Border Foil Grey Merchants. 
you will pay 70 bucks for these right now. Um, it is a very pop, it is a popular seller on TCG player. The supply is also very low. There are 14 copies on TCG player right now, which across 12 vendors, which is quite low for the foil old borders. Most of the other cards are in the like 20 to 30, low 30 range that are popular, but this is down in, in four, at 14. So it's, it's moved more copies than you might've expected. Um, the TCG market price is below the low, which means that the price is creeping up rather than slipping down. Um, so, you know, you'll buy these, there's like five copies, six copies at $70 and then you're 80 and then they're gone, hundred and then they're gone. Uh, so, you know, 70 bucks is a steep ask for sure, but you buy, I think you buy these at 70 and then you know, a little ways down the road later this year, early next year, you might be able to get away with 130 for them just based on, on the, the volume of sales we're seeing on this so far. And it's uh, very popular in EDH in case you weren't sure, 33,000, 32,000 in EDH. So definitely a, a player there. Yeah. I mean, I think this is solid. If you can get these, you get these even cheaper over in Japan and uh, there might be some pretty good deals in Europe. Definitely worth taking a look and see what card market is charging for these. Mm, yeah. If you're, if you're doing much ordering in, in Europe, uh, definitely. Let's see what now. Grey Merchant of Asphodel can be accomplished. What can be accomplished by targeting this on card market? We're looking at uh, foil version, cheapest English, about thirty bucks, thirty euros, for so about forty dollars US. So English foil, foil border foil. Yeah. So it looks like Ooh. Europe is the way to the way to go here. Yeah, I'd say so. That's uh, that's tasty. It's a tasty meatball. Alrighty. So my next ones here are part and parcel with the Eldrazi Tron lists. Uh, and there's also some spillover for uh, the second pick. First of all, Eldrazi Temple foils have only been printed twice. Once in the original printing and the second time, which was Rise of Eldrazi, and the second time in Modern Masters 2015, which was six years ago. There are very few Eldrazi temples lying around. If you're playing an Eldrazi Tron deck or any other kind of Eldrazi deck, you are definitely running these. Um, Eldrazi Tron has been extremely resilient over the last few years, uh, surviving through all of the various brokenness that had to get banned out of modern. Um, you can pick these up at fifteen or sixteen dollars in Europe, and for these to go, say, fifteen to sixteen to fifteen or sixteen to forty before it catches a reprint seems very likely. The only reprint avenue that i could see being likely in the next six to eight months would be two things one secret layer um it's just in and about the right level to catch a secret layer um i don't think they have much reason to to print a Eldrazi themed secret layer um but there is uh an all is dust that's getting printed into a secret layer imminently so part of this current secret layer batch uh so it's not you know totally unheard of and then there's also still my theory floating around unproven and unjustified that modern horizons 2 isn't going to include premium cards that are in modern but not in modern horizons 2 the set and in which case eldrazi temple could easily be put into that mix and and you would expect it to be then showing up in the 400 collector booster boxes for modern horizons 2 
Uh, yeah. First of all, it is violence to remind me that Modern Masters 15 was six years ago. I consider that <laughs> an affront to my personal sanity. Um, Time going real fast. Yeah. Yeah, the only two foil printings, the TCG player supply is like nothing. The Modern Masters won their five vendors. <laughs> so, you know, 18, 20, 19, 20, 21, and then you're just gone. So, sure. So if you're it, paying less than $20 for these, it seems real good. If it, if it dodges a reprint, it's just going to be whatever price. Yeah, probably, I mean, it'll probably what, a 50 or $60 foil as mm-hmm. long as, uh, I mean, if you get to the end of this year with no more copies, yeah. Well, and, and, and if it's foil. some kind of like fancy mystical archive, archive style printing in the Modern Horizons 2 CBs, that doesn't really compete against these because that might come out the gate at 40 or $50 plus. Also true. If, if it's a very premium mystical archive or, you know, showcase style version where it's 80 bucks right away then yeah yep they, they exist in different spaces now my follow-up to that is karn the great creator is all over the place in these modern and legacy lists and even though you can make the argument that yeah paper play is not a certainty and you shouldn't really bank on paper play specs the reality is that a couple of these versions are just disappearing so to start with the secret layer stained glass version was always in the back of people's minds if they were paying attention as an almost certain spec. And currently we're down to 18 listings on TCG Player, starting pretty pretty tightly near $20 and ramping real hard to 30 plus, headed for 40 in a hurry. Hmm. So picking these picking the last 20 or 30 copies up in the US around 20 bucks and expecting to go to say 40 or 50 what is going to stop it? They're not. I don't think there, there's any uh, evidence that they're going to be doling out the stained glass carns any further. And if that's the case, these are a lock to hit my my target price within the year because it's a great looking version. Everybody loves the stained glass versions. It does have a foil curling issue, but you can temper that by double sleeving them depending on your lo- localized humidity. It might not be a big deal. And I don't think it's going to matter anyway, because you don't need more than 20 or 30 people to make the decision that they want to play full play set of these. And this card almost always gets played as a play set in competitive. Yeah, the stained glass one is very nifty, and that's not a lot of copies available. Um, I see one guy's packing 10, but I mean, that's not really that much, all things considered. Hmm. I, I, this is a this is a cool looking card. You're right; it's been very very popular, and th- not even really a a flash in the pan either. I mean, he's been reliably good, and you never know if they're going to reprint another artifact that suddenly busts him again. And even without that, like it's getting cards out of sideboards, so it's not the utility will always be there. Essentially, as they continue to print artifacts, it just kind of expands his portfolio of of the work he can do for you which helps him out a lot in the long run. So I, I really like this at 20, actually. Well, um, and now go look at the Japanese War Alt Art Karns, which last featured on this podcast. Let me see when that was. It was episode 177, July 16th, 2019. That long ago, huh? Those are, so the, the foils are $200. Yeah. And so I've got I've got a series I've got a series well. one foil. 
that I got from Card Kingdom and a buy list trade out at the current valuation at that point was 85 or 90. I fully expect to hold that and sell it for five, six, seven hundred dollars for the Series One. Now, if you take a look at the non foils for those cards, you're talking about. I originally called it to go 20 to 40 back in 2019, and it took longer than I than I expected, partially because COVID interference, partially because there were subsequent waves of war that appeared in the market that took time to filter out, and you know pretty much every you know, a couple of war boxes, Japanese war boxes that got cracked. You got one of these alt art cards, but of the artworks in the uh, Japanese alt art planeswalkers from War of the Spark, this is one of the nicest. There's no doubt about that. Um, some of the cards, like Teferi, it's debatable whether the Japanese art is even worth owning over the English art, but the Karn is much more dynamic and cool, and it like busts the frame and so forth. These were easy to come by for quite some time. And I remember t- people that I told to buy these on this 2019 call were like, eh, they're not getting anywhere fast enough. Well, you can currently on TCG, you've only got 11 listings left. They start in the low 20s, go up to 30 plus in a hurry, and they look like they're headed for 60 plus. Easy breezy. There's hardly any left. Over in Europe, you can still bite these off at, uh, let's see around $16. Hmm. So snap these off. If you if you didn't like the 2019 pick or thought it took too long, you can redeem yourself now by grabbing the $16 copies in Europe and sell into $50 plus. Because again, Japanese War is the way of the dinosaur. I sell those boxes for $240 now. They're going to be three or $400 boxes and not too long. And... Not going to be any easy way to replenish these cards. No, I really like that. I mean, honestly, at the moment, the TCG low is one of the best places in America, it would seem, to buy these. Yep. It's interesting. Interesting. I, yeah, I like this quite a bit. I'm trying to figure out if there's a place that I can buy this. Uh, I like them both. I think the secret layer with the stained glass art is better. I think I like the art more. Um, but I suppose it doesn't matter all that much. Really? Do you like the art more? Yeah. Yeah, I think the stained glass effect is nifty. I think it's 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 kind of cool looking. All right. So sure. what's your last selection? Uh, also on the Time Spiral Remastered uh, train, um, I was going to talk about... Uh... Oh, shoot. Um... Vanquisher's Banner. I was going to talk about Vanquisher's Banner, but uh, that card is actually doesn't quite work out the way that I wanted to. Um, it, it seems like it would have been good, but I'm just trying to, have to pull the tab back up. The current TCG low price on that card has fallen beneath the market price by a fairly hefty margin, about ten dollars. So I think that's going to be a card that I'm going to keep an eye on in the future because that card is actually, I did not realize this, Vanquisher's Banner is more popular or just as popular in EDH as Panharmonicon. Uh, But the numbers aren't quite there. But the other card that I found that is supported pretty well is Baral, Chief of Compliance, um, which we've talked about the other versions of this in the past. 
um, but this one is still good. The TCG low on this is about 50, 58, $59, right around 60 bucks, which is where the market price is. There's 21 vendors for you know, 22 copies or something like that. Um, it's an 11,000 EDH Rectax. Uh, it's also a competitive card, right? You see this get played in um, various Storm and Storm adjacent builds across Really, I think all the formats have seen Baral show up a couple times. So he's a relatively popular card in TCG player. The supply is is pretty low. It's up slow as gray merchant, but it's still low. Um, you've got cross cross appeal in both EDH and competitive. And like I said before, I think people's attention is turning away from Time Spiral remastered. So it might be time to start trying to grab some of these at their floor. But if you're snagging these at sixty, I think you could be selling these above a hundred again later this year maybe next year yeah that seems perfectly reasonable given that the prismari really reinforces the interest in cards like this and given how few of these actually exist in the marketplace they seem like very solid pickups what did you say the lowest price on tcg was uh it is currently like 59 dollars, i think yeah 57 58 for the absolute cheapest copy so what can we get up oh. The Barals in Europe are looking like mm, 40 or so. Ooh, that's another good one. Uh, sounds like, uh, whatchamacallit, Europe has some very good prices on these old border foils. Sounds like. All right, so one other issue I wanted to flag uh, cards that are on the move. Because this came up in my research sweep, uh, I think it was on Friday, and I flagged it for the pro traders and mentioned it on Twitter. Did you did you catch this whole thing about the three cards from the Mystical Archives, Japanese foils and etched that are way more expensive in Japan, specifically on Harayuya, but also on a bunch of the mid tier sites in Japan than they were in North America until we flagged it. <laughs> yeah you you had mentioned mentioned this to me before those were the time warp i was absolutely looking for but that was out of stock everywhere that i was looking even when i wanted to buy them or the prices the the, I, the price wasn't appealing the thing is i was doing a lot of shopping for that stuff cool the one the, I, I was shopping on the one website in america and i didn't have any and i think the prices were too high overseas so i didn't bother but i didn't catch the arbitrage opportunity until and i had done my shopping like last week and then you guys stumbled upon it but like a day later i think but i was not uh not able to catch up with it quick enough yeah so for people that aren't in the know everybody knew that the demonic tutor japanese foil was obviously going to be a big deal card probably the biggest chase card but the highest price japanese foil on Yuya from the mystical archives is not the demonic tutor it is, in fact, Time Warp, which is also a mythic. And they are sh currently showing it sold out at $650. <laughs> they have the Demonic Tutor foils sold out at around $500. Even the foil etch Time Warp, they have posted as sold out at $400. And then Grape Shot and Channel are the other two cards that are in the top four, which I don't think anybody saw coming. The presumably on the basis of just having strong anime art, the the grape shot is only a rare, 
And Harry is currently showing the foils sold out at 350 And they're showing the channels sold out at 150 Their buy lists the, are pretty generous. The, f- the channel was what really blew me away. Channel's a mythic. By the way. Channel's a mythic, but it's, it's banned in EDH. You can basically only play it in Vintage, right? Yeah, and like the art cube. It's something, I guess. I don't know. I mean, if you... Not it, remarkable. I, I think that there, the skill behind these three pieces of art is evident. Like, if you look at them, the large versions of them, this is impressive art. The, I think you have a, you tend to have a bias against weeb art in general, so that probably clouds your judgment here. This is, this is very true, very true. But keep in mind that a mo- the most expensive card in modern history for Magic the Gathering... That came that isn't some kind of strange one-off promo is the foil of mono Liliana art from War of the Spark, which is like a four to eight thousand dollar card, depending on which version you're referring to. And that was almost entirely on the basis not of it being a playable card, but on just having strong anime art. And like likewise, the same with these. So the Haruya buy list on these, the foil time warp is at three hundred dollars US. And these were commonly available early in the weekend in the 80 to 120 range before we caught on. The foil etched, they're offering 180 bucks. The grape shots, even though it's a foil rare out of the collector boosters, they're offering $100. And even the non-foil time warps, they're offering 60. That that's what you would get out of, for the most part, set set booster boxes, I suppose. And then the Japanese foil channel, they're offering 60. And then the other ones, big ones, of course, the Demonic Tutor, the Tainted Pact, and Crux of Fate, actually, is up there. Like, they're only offering 40 bucks for Japanese foil to Fairy's Protection. And that, hmm. that, that was, at the outset, that was my primary target. Because it's yeah. excellent art, and Teferi's Protection is a S-tier staple for EDH. Yeah, there's no copy of that card that's less than, like, 30 bucks. Yeah. So anyway, if you're pull out there and you're pulling time warps, grape shots, channels, put those aside <laughs> and wait for the North America market to fully catch up and, and parse whether these Japanese prices are going to hold. We're trying to get a, you know, a buy list action together just to send copies of these cards over to Japan, see if we can get a nice clean exit within a month. If that works, that'll open a conduit that we will aim to repeat in the future. It's entirely possible that Haruya is pulling a little bait and switch here where they fully know that they can open a ton more Japanese CBs to replenish their stock and they're, you know, hyping up the market on these cards so that they can take advantage of it when they open more stock. But there's a lot lower overall print run of the Japanese CBs uh, versus the English ones. The thing is, the English ones still have copies of these cards. Because the only thing that the Japanese CBs have that the English CBs don't is the Japanese global art. And, and of course, Japanese foil extended arts and Japanese foil borderless planeswalkers and dragons and whatever. But Haruyuya can buy English CBs and still pull these cards. Yeah, I, I didn't... <laughs> like, you were telling me about this that you guys had found this and i didn't really get it I'm like i at least with the amano liliana you're like okay this is a really famous anime artist and people are gaga for that like fine but i don't get 
the channel, the grave shot, the channel, and the time warp. I, I just, I don't understand where that demand is coming from. And I mean, I like you tell me that it could be. Uh, it's just, it's got to be the art. How are you trying to be clever? But like that seems. Well, I, like, I, I way too much gamesmanship for an outfit like that. Well, I like, suspect that there is an element of them sense. trying to be clever because they know they are market. They they are price setters in their market, but there is also probably some real stats behind that they saw like these these cards were probably flying off the shelf so they would raise the price and they would keep flying off the shelf and they kept selling out of them so they kept raising the price i mean that's basically how that works so clearly the market has decided these are a big deal now there is an element to this that a lot of people in north america and europe will miss asia has asia exclusive strixhaven sleeve bundles that were handed out with uh set booster box purchases i believe at the lgs level and the grape shot time warp and channel art at least i think two of the three are included in those sleeve options that suggests that when they were picking the best art for that market the people that were selecting also agreed that this was some of the best art and a lot of players will, would have been handed the sleeves, and that would reinforce for them that this is some of the best art. So there is that element as well. Uh, what I suspect will happen here is that the Harry you will get their hands on a bunch of product. They will crack a bunch of product. Their buy list will get less and less generous as they do so because they will be less and less in need of additional copies. And then some time will pass, and then the buy list will start to heat up again as they stop cracking. And it will end, and I think that these cards will stay in the top five cards from the Japanese perspective from this set, and they will be worth holding. If you can get the quick flip now, great, but I think they'll be worth holding on a six to eighteen month horizon because I, I they will probably even if they fall off this, you know, say the time warp falls from six hundred down to three hundred or whatever, that's still really good. Like you, you could pr probably still leverage. A relationship in japan just by you know finding some op japanese operator on facebook and offering to ship some copies over to them for a commission and have them sell via private private sale if not buy list to mm -hmm. get a nice clean exit and down the road if it went from 600 to 300 it's probably just going to head back for 600 right yeah i there this something about this just seems odd to me like there's so many cards here that have anime art so why why these three like i don't understand well a, the... a lot of the art isn't anime art a lot of it is more in a classical japanese style like for instance the crux of fate which which is why i like it more but sure and and the, i think that like the teferi's protection the crux of fate uh those are different art styles for sure they are they are i guess i'm just kind of shocked that just by virtue of putting some like whatever f fine to decent anime art on magic card like i don't think these are spectacular uh are I, I think it i don't think it's unfair to say that these aren't spectacular they're fine at best uh is that worth magic cards being 10 times more expensive than they should have been like it's just <laughs> like is 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 can you take a card that should be worth ten dollars put anime art on it and have it be worth a hundred are we at that place 
because I guess all you have is the War of the Spark Japanese stuff, and and this. I mean, are I the only times they've got their own artwork like that. I certainly would have guessed that Brainstorm and Lightning Bolt would have been ahead of all these three cards, on the basis that they're Brainstorm and Lightning Bolt and Japanese competitive players run decks that run four of each. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Anyway, worth worth flagging, worth worth paying attention to. If you're cracking these cards, don't necessarily feel the pressure to sell them at North American prices, which, as of this recording, have already risen significantly over the weekend. Like, the people caught on to the time warp as we started talking about it, and I think the last I checked, there was very few of the time warp foils even left available. Let me just see. Uh, Yeah, I feel like uh, I missed the boat on all this. I'm pretty sure I passed up very cheap Japanese channels because I looked at them and went, these are dumb. I don't like these. And also who would ever play with them? So I did not buy them. Yeah. So cheapest time warp foil on TCG is now 190. Hmm. For the Japanese foil. foil. Yeah. Yeah. And there's 18 results. Yeah. I I think that's going to backfill and get pushed back down as people that have been snapping them off try to figure out their exit point. If there was like if Japanese buylist.com, for instance, threw the threw this stuff up on their list at some price point above the hundred dollar like if they were offering one sixty against the hundred dollar copies from last week, then it would set a floor. But if people are struggling to figure out how to exit on these in the North American market, then you know the price is gonna float back down in the US and may open up an even wider opportunity for the people that can leverage it. Oh yeah. I mean if you're in America and you don't have an easy way to get these to Japan you just take them, you know, take the money here. Let somebody who's doing the work to arbitrage them in Japan make some money as well and uh, walk away happy. Because why not? Well, if I was in that position, I might I hit up a Japanese-focused Facebook magic group that has Japanese operators on it and offer to do a trade. I'll send you these cards. You send me this. Yeah, there's a couple different ways to get with it. I, I, I if I had ended up with any of these, um, I might be inclined to just try and get rid of them quickly if it meant like a double up or something and i didn't have to worry about trying to figure out how to get them somewhere crazy another tip to get them to japan just throw them up on ebay under the global shipping program yeah and make sure you've got japan turned on because some of our pro traders told me that even before i had flagged it they were getting really strong sales on these cards from japan because japan interesting japan japan saw the prices skyrocket at over about a 72 hour period and immediately started looking west to see if there were replenishment options. Sure. Makes sense. Uh, we didn't actually talk about your last card, though. Your last pick. Uh, let me bring that up. <laughs> that was all like a preamble to your actual pick. All right. So my final pick selection of the week, paper cards to watch, the Textless Lands Bundle is $240 from this new secret layer. That gets you 10 copies of each textless land, plains, islands, forests, mountains, swamps, 50 total. 50 cards. So you're paying, what is it, 240 divided by 50 plus taxes, depending on where you're at. You're paying about four, just under $5 a copy. Um, I'm real bullish on these. Here's, here's why. The meme secret layers to date, including the white border Tybalt, Stormcrow, etc., have done very, very well. This is an extremely novel, novelty-focused, 
and novel version of lands. They filled up a basic land with text. All the rules text associated with basic lands is printed on these things. If you if you get the foil version, which is 319, I think that bundle is reasonable too. The uh, they have a uh, foil uh, mana symbol on them, which is pretty cool. I think you can go either way with these, but I'll focus here on the non-foils. When people buy land, basic lands that they want to table, they are forced to buy a significant number of them to make it worthwhile. So they might be buying 10 or 20 of these at a time. That's a huge, huge plus to a spec. It's like colony rats, it's like persistent partitioners, it's, it's all these things where they need to buy a bunch of copies, relentless rats, whatever, to make their deck. And in terms of meme value, these are real high. And in terms of presence on board, the presence value is real high because they play a land and people see a reader and they're like, wait, what's that? And you're like, oh, that's just a basic land. <laughs> and it stays on the board because nobody kills basic lands in EDH. These have like troll value in competitive formats. Like you can table these in standard, modern, wherever. It's super funny to a certain crowd. And they're never going to print these again. They're never going to print these again. Not like this. They might do some other meme with basic lands, but it won't be this one. So I just don't see how these can go wrong. Like I'm, I'm tempted to go as deep as I possibly can on these. Um, I, I, when our... The official call is 240 to 350 in a year. But I, I actually don't, I, I don't think it's crazy for these lands to end up being $20 plus each. Uh, sorry, I was just checking a text message about my baby. Um, Your baby. So when our Discord was talking about the shock bundle, and I'm looking at that text, the text lands, and I'm going, isn't this way better? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, isn't this way better? And if you didn't write, like, I had actually pondered putting the textless, the text land bundle on my pick for the week, but opted not to just because I, like, I don't really need to blow this up. But like, I'm planning on buying these. Um, I'm right there with you. I think these are are fantastic. Uh, and for all the for all the all the reasons you hit, they're tr- truly one of the most distinct basic lands because all of the other lands have tried to go the other direction how how cool can we make the art the art and this is this is the ugliest we could possibly make this card the only thing it's missing is i didn't print it in comic sans um <laughs> but like you're right it's it, it's for all those factors i really like these the, the price is very cheap um and I did. I will point out that one of the things that caught my attention was uh, Zvi Moshwitz, Love Him or Hate Him, did comment when he was talking. He was talking, I think, of Ari Lax or someone like that, and he's like, he made a comment about like, I think these cards are way too cheap. The the text lands, and I, I'm always uh, fascinated, really tuned in to hear people who aren't financially relevant or aren't financially motivated when they talk about magic cards because they use such a different rubric than we do. And it's not to say they're always right, 
but it does give you the a perspective that it can be hard for you to have. And you, you want to take that perspective and overlay it with your knowledge about the finance component and see how it lines up. Um, and, you know, I made a joke on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about how some guy on the Reddit, MTG Finance subreddit was like, like, like a month ago, this dude was like, wow, it almost makes me seem like we should be paying attention to EDH. Like, <laughs> you think? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome to the last five years. And like back when we played, when there were Black Pro Tours, like you just paid attention to what the pros were playing because it's, they didn't care what the card prices were. They cared about what cards were good. And that told you what was going to be pricey. So when when you get someone who, like Zvi to, saying something like that, it kind of makes me wonder like, huh, huh. Um you know, it's kind of on his radar too. And this, he's not the type of person who normally talks about this type of thing. This is just an added feature to all of this. The the, the long and short of it, the, the long and long of it is I really like these. And I am also considering how much money I should dump into this. And I'm like, can I, can I get away with spending five grand on this? <laughs> like, like I, I mean, I don't think I'll go that high. I'll probably end up spending somewhere between one and $2,000 on it. I think so too. Because like I, you know, it can't be that crazy. I, I think but ten. I think ten. Very tempting. Ten sets in the mid two thousands. I feel pretty confident on. Now keep in mind, with secret layers, the more people that agree with us, the longer it takes to make money because you have more competition yeah. in the market, and especially with these in particular, it's the kind of thing that a vendor will look at and go, "Oh, I mean, this is exclusive inventory." <laughs> like there's no other way to get these cards after this month period is up people just pumped a bunch of money into Strixhaven, Mystical Archives, etc then they got Modern Horizons 2 coming up so this is getting squished in the middle of those budgeting requirements uh, there's a chance that in the summer Magic goes through a weaker phase just that's normally how it goes people can finally break free of their COVID chains at home and go outside and actually enjoy themselves so in general the Magic market tends to trail off during this part of the year and but you know the more vendors that pick up two grand worth of this the more copies of this have to sell through down the road before you can make your money so that's certainly worth considering um but i i think that they're these are very polarizing i i think there are there are going to be a lot of places that take a pass on these there's going to be a lot of players that take a pass and are like yeah i'm not paying I'm not paying $240 for some basic lands. What a ripoff. And all of that plays like the secret layers that people have shunned have been some of the ones that did the best because there's still some tiny addressable market. And if they forgot to buy, then you can easily be last vendor standing on that stuff. Now this works a lot better in my model than it does in a quick flip model. Like if you need to get in and out on stuff in three months or less to be satisfied that this is not for you. But my model is make really strong margins over about a year. And from that perspective, this seems like a lock to me. Yeah, which is which is how I would treat it too. You know, my, my goal would be to buy this uh, and stash it in the closet and I'll check back in in like six months. How do we look, you know, how do we look at as we're hitting the fall, where are things right now? Um, and then and, and make the decision from that perspective. But... I, I, you know, I divisive, um, polarizing. I'm fine with that, right? Like, I don't need every player to want to own these. I mean, if they did, there'd be a lot more of them on the market. 
and that's fine, right? Because I, I and everyone and if they weren't divisive, everyone who's medium on them wouldn't buy them anyways. You know, it's sort of like the, the you're only ever going to sell these to the people who want them. But like, it's really great if you can really get some people to want them. I don't know. I just the divisive part of this, I think, is is well, not a negative and almost almost a, a benefit. Well, and let's say a year from now, we've got the first on camera paper GP for modern or something. And LSV steps up to the plate with his deck trolled out with textless islands. I mean, full text islands. That's all it's going to take to put a run on these cards. They they do speak very highly to the enfranchised player. You know, the player who has been around the longest is going to be the most likely to like these, which is great because there's a pretty high overlap between those guys and whales. Yep. And so, you know, somebody's going to see these, somebody step up and like run these in draft at their LGS and be like, what the fuck are those? Where did you get those? I need those. And then they're going to go to the mm-hmm. case and they're going to have one set left. And then they're going to go to turn to eBay and TCG and pick up 20 islands or whatever. Because yeah. the nice thing about these is that like you can just run these everywhere. Lots, No matter what format you're playing, you need basics. Yep. And you can you can They're... troll every table you step up to. They are very viable. Like like Cedric Phyllis was put was like, I, I'm gonna you know, pass in motion when we get back to Star City Games on camera play that we're gonna ban these or whatever. Any of that like dryad arbors or sneaky sneaky forest or whatever kind of discussions just serves to reinforce the legend of the full text lands. Hmm. Ask me what I think about Cedric Phillips' editorial decisions when we're uh, not recording. I mean, uh, be, be that as it may, voracious reader bundle, I think, is going to make people money. That's my call. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And to, to the point where I, I I was tempted to write it down myself. You know, it's, you know, it's fine. These secret layers kind of change, <laughs> change the math on this a little bit. Because n- normally we would get accused of talking our books right like oh i bought a bunch of these cards and i'm trying to convince everyone sure to go buy them so that my copies go up in value but when it's secret layers it's like ah uh, i don't want to tell anyone about these because yeah. i don't yeah, want I don't, I, any more of these to get sold yeah, it's, right? it's a hard like, to point fingers when the, the smartest thing you could do is convince people not to buy them so that you're the last yeah. understanding faster to, and i yeah you, you point your fingers i did have the thought and chose not to put it on the list this week <laughs> But I also intended to discuss it. So so here's here's the thing. There's also the possibility of a bonus here. Like there's no codes according to the post on the secret layer site. So you don't get any magic online or arena help. But maybe there's a, a full text wastes as the bonus in these. That was an idea yeah. somebody had in the discord that seems viable. That they could do that or not do that. Yeah, I did wonder about that. Like, I really like these on the surface, and I kind of wondered what else is hanging out in there. It, it, there's also, a, a, I guess, a final point worth making about how this formulation in particular is really reseller-friendly. Because what could have happened here is that there was some other, like, secret layer bundle configuration with a bunch of totally different cards, and that these were included as a one-of. Like, you get one island. So you got to crack those to, to extract the island and then compile the islands and sell the islands as a group. But the way that they're doing here, the super bundle with 50, that's going to be a really easy flippable thing on eBay and TCG player where you're at the right time when the price is right, you're not going to have to put much work into reselling. Like you'll just keep it sealed and resell it as is. 
and and, the, and the non and the non foils don't have the Pringle problem where you got to worry about whether people are going to try to return them on you. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you how much I enjoy the idea that I don't have to do as much work to sell the damn things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Because I mean, if you buy the foils at three thirty, and then you know down the road you get to put that same box on eBay for a thousand bucks, sold, sold. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, that's all of our paper cards to watch. Uh, a nice seven or eight selections. And we're going to move on to the Pro Trader selection of the week. Tybalt's Trickery Foil Extended Art out of Kaldheim Collector Booster Boxes. Currently available for $5 on uh, TCG Player. Largely forgotten because in Modern and elsewhere it was making a big deal where you would use this to cast the backside of Velky. Um, they closed that loophole. And these had spiked really hard up front, and then once they closed the loophole, they've been retreating ever since. Thing is, this is still one of the only red counterspell options in EDH. And it's in five, 6% of all red decks since it was published. That's a very respectable number to justify picking up some foil extended arts at, at $5 in the US. Don't have to worry about getting them over from Europe or anything. And... It's so unique in the color, it's very unlikely to be disturbed. I Yeah, this card is quite potent, and I did a double take because I thought that I had picked this at one point, but apparently I don't think that I did. Um, well, and even if we did, at the point where it was relevant in a bunch of formats, we didn't pick it at $5. <laughs> no, I didn't realize these were that cheap. Senator foils are five bucks. Yeah, I do like Tibbal's <laughs> Trickery quite a bit. Uh, this is Chaos Warp. This is a counterspell Chaos Warp, right? Like, that's that's what this is. And Chaos Warp, for those who are weren't aware, is no, not Chaos Wand. Chaos Warp is in 70,000 EDA truck decks, which, <laughs> which is why I bit off a bunch of Japanese foil global art mythic mystical archives for 10 bucks or less this weekend yeah so tibal's trickery being essentially the same concept is very appealing when we're talking about five dollar extended art foils i am completely on board possibly the most on board i've ever been with a listener pick oh definitely high wow. definitely high for me well carl Choi gets your adulation and a 25 dollar gift certificate from cool stuff inc so congrats to carl for a good pick and- and he doesn't have a username that is dumb to say out loud. I mean, it's just, it's so just, his, really, it's just his name, so. Uh, right. Applause all around, Carl. I can't can't thank you enough. You, you would have had a field day with the parkour community back like 10 years ago in Toronto where everybody had a uh, like, message board screen name, like a wannabe ninja name that they showed up with and then used in person. Like, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm the gray hood. Mm. <laughs> You you would have had a field day shaking hands on on those workout I, nights. I I don't think I would have had a lot of friends in that community. <laughs> I've been like, oh, I'm Travis. They're like, ah, oh, I'm the 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 masked runner. I'd be like, uh-huh. how do you how do you find how where do you fit all your shoes in your mom's basement? Yeah. Like, what? tell me about the swords that you own. Oh, I didn't tell you that I collect swords. How did you know? I just, oh, just a hunch. Yeah. All right, so moving on to our final topic of the week. Hasbro, Hasbro, Hasbro. So Hasbro has an investor call 
this week where they're like, uh, yeah, uh, I'll just read it. Surprising everyone during Hasbro's 2021 first quarter financial results conference call. Hasbro CEO Brian Goldner stated that the company is looking forward to generating NFTs, non-fungible tokens, based on Hasbro properties such as Transformers and G.I. Joe. And I quote, NFTs are a real opportunity for us. As you know, we have so many brands that really operate on multiple demographic levels, whether it's Transformers, Magic, The Gathering, or the D&D brand, G.I. Joe, and the like. We have a team that is leading our effort out of the West Coast. We'll have our arms around this and see multiple opportunities on the NFT side, and you'll hear more about that as we move forward. But yes, we are actively developing our opportunities here, and we do see it as substantial. (laughs) So translation, Wizard sees top shots and all this other shit going on in the sports sphere, generating tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. And they're like, yeah, we want some of that action, because this opens up a third front. They, they sell cards on Arena and Magic Online. They sell paper cards. And now they can sell crypto versions of the cards. And the extra sexy thing here that I guarantee you they're talking about is what we talk. I think I alluded to in some previous conversation on NFTs plus Magic, which is that this is an opportunity to print the reserve list. Like, you can print the Power 9 here and not break any of the rules. For, for whatever that means. Yeah. But like this, they totally can because they Black Lotus they print out they put out on Magic Online, even though it's reserved list, and they can put out more versions of it there whenever they want to. And NFTs is the same kind of thing. It's not a paper version of the card, so they can go ahead and put out like uh, Alpha booster packs in crypto space and charge whatever for them nine ninety nine, and then sixteen people get to own a Lotus, whatever mm-hmm. that means. I I uh I don't like any of this. So James and I were talking a while ago. Um when you know what was that 3 weeks ago when it got it's like a while ago, 3 weeks. Um um when NFTs really blew up in the public space. And I had shared with him an article at the time about in the environmental impact of NFTs and crypto art in general. Uh and it's you know, we've, we've talked about the green component of NFTs in, in crypto in general. And I'm I'm sort of a little unsure how to feel about that aspect of it. But NFTs are just like, they just feel like the worst part of all of this for no reason whatsoever. And what's really amazing about this is that you can take the 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 moral stand the the moral component of NFTs and, and crypto art and cryptocurrency as valid as, as any of that may or may not be you can kind of set that aside and go but the design of this is so bad because there was all of this stuff that came out with NFTs where like all you had really purchased was a URL and that would and if that server ever went down it was gone. Well, so your NFT only not, existed so yeah, long. Yeah, not as not the server, there. but if you lose control of the URL itself, like if the company that controls the the hosting of those domains to support that technology goes bankrupt or something, then your at well, your asset only survives as long as they're they are controlling the posting of those digital assets. Because if they stop hosting them, then your asset doesn't exist. 
Right. So, the, and I mean, this is this is a, a critical factor for people to remember is that when you think about something like Bitcoin, you're like, okay, Bitcoin only exists as long as like the the blockchain is running, but that's centered on you know whatever two hundred thousand nodes or something like that across the world. Like that's probably not going to disappear anytime soon. That it's not like one company's going to go bankrupt and Bitcoin's going to disappear. But the NFTs don't work like that. Um, now, I'm not claiming to be super up to date on this, so I don't know if I, I can't imagine this is significantly different in the last several weeks than it was, you know, back in in February. And maybe they get this fixed somehow in the future. But like uh, for a lot of this stuff, a lot of the crypto or the NFTs, the company who was minting the NFT was the same one hosting it. And if that company ever went belly up, like you essentially your NFT was worthless. So you you know you have aspects like that that make them all questionable and there was this debacle with the oscars that just happened with the chadwick boseman nft i i suppose my point here is that in general i have just had such a bad taste in my mouth around nfts in general recently and then you add wizards who has never basically done anything good on a digital platform no digital dna Choosing to engage in the clearly most digital thing you could possibly imagine. It's like, I, I have, I, I cannot express to you how little faith I have that this will be done well. Whatever well looks like. And for whoever likes to point fingers at wizards and claim that they're using predatory business models, <laughs> the NFT thing is, is largely about capitalizing on a lack of understanding and FOMO. So to a much greater extent than I think just putting out a premium paper magic product is NFTs absolutely lean into a predatory space just on the basis that people don't fully understand what they're actually paying for um, and -hmm. what the risks and, and opportunities are. Now I will say that if I have to bank on random crypto company lasting 20 years versus Hasbro lasting 20 years and continuing to host their NFTs, Hasbro is a much better position. They're a very large publicly traded company. They have specific uh, uh, responsibilities um, to their shareholders, and they have a bunch of a very strong portfolio of brands. They're basically the leading toy company on the planet, so they're going to be around. Um, so I'm not really worried about the like, will my Optimus Prime NFT disappear one day? As as much as I am convinced, absolutely. Given that we're hearing this, that them say they're diving in on this already, that they're gonna fuck this up. Like the big opportunity, as I described it in a previous conversation with Magic plus NFTs, is that they can combine them with playability. They're probably not going to do that here because it's a really big project. And I'm guessing they're going to go for the quick, dirty, make some money right away thing. So they're going to put out a Black Lotus in an NFT form, but you won't be able to play it anywhere, which is totally ridiculous. Like (laughs) they have something that the sports cards guys don't. There is a playability. There is a utility linked to play. Like if I was if I was trying to execute really well in the sports card space for NFTs, I would build a trading card game around it, and I would have a Ken Griffey Ken Griffey Jr. card in that game that basically functions as a new take on uh, um, fantasy baseball, and. The big. I was going to say, kind of amazing. They've never done that. Well, right? they, because it's it's the reverse, right? They have no chops in gaming. 
in the same way that Hasbro has no digital DNA, the sports card world has no gaming DNA, like literally zero. So they're not, you know, I've met some of the executives from Upper Deck, et cetera, and worked with them on tangential products here in Toronto. And they, these guys don't even think along those lines, like even remotely. The, so, you know, if I was doing, had unlimited budget and was able to try to make the sports card thing work, I would build some gaming dynamics around it. And then when you unlock the Ken Griffey Jr. slides into home plate for the World Series or whatever video clip, it plays in the game when you do it. So, like, going from third to home could be any one of a bunch of different times that happened in history with that player. And if you have the sexiest one, then you get to show it off while you're playing against somebody else app to app. That's cool. That starts to justify why you would want to own those digital assets other than to show them off on your phone in a nightclub. And likewise, on the magic side of things, you want to be able to play the fucking Black Lotus. Like, just owning it in NFT form is some is jokery. Like, it's just, it's the silliest thing ever. You basically have a picture of a Black Lotus on your phone, probably with new Seb McKinnon art or whatever. The, yeah, they're going to screw it up. And it's going to be, there's going to be so much eye rolling leading into it that it, they would really need to hit it out of the park to justify the adventure. But I, I think some people will spend money on this. Like, it, it would not surprise me at all to see a bunch of FOMO-driven people or people see that see dollar signs being like, ah, I'm just going to grab a couple packs. And then, you know, somebody, Wired's going to run a story about the launch and then a bunch more people will jump in. And then you can easily set off a FOMO cascade. I fully suspect somebody will make money on this. Uh, Let, let's say it launches. It launches tomorrow. Wizards. There's no playability angle to it. Do you buy a pack? Absolutely not. Okay. I want nothing to do with this. I want nothing to do with this. I think other people will, and I think someone's going to make money somewhere. What what, what percentage? What percentage of our Discord do you think would buy a pack? So, um, you know the members better than I do. Uh, I, I mean, it feels like probably at least 20%. I could see it being as high as like 50. Yep. I think it's in that range. Uh, like because one pack for they're sure. going to look, a lot of people are going to look at this with the same kind of opinion I have. Like this is stupid and for a million reasons, but I do think that these cards will go, these NFTs will go up in price. Like I do think that will happen. So even though I think it's dumb, there is a financial incentive for me to do this. And that was probably where a lot of the, you know, a good chunk of the action might take place in that regard. Like just people recognizing profit, even if they think it's a silly short-term thing. Like if you wanted to make this real, real sexy, you build, you build this, staple this on top of some renewed version of Chandelier. The original magic video game that is beloved by the people that played it. If you launched a Chandelier where the NFTs were earned within the game, but they were unique, like you had to be like the first person to get to a dungeon on a given weekend to unlock the Blacker Lotus or whatever, that shit would be wildfire in the Magic community. But they, <laughs> but they won't hit that note. <laughs> at, at I mean, all. there's a million, a million ways that you could essentially construct this to be 
fascinating, engaging within magic. And they will do none of it. Um, Especially because of their language that they're partnering with, like some group on the West or whatever, which means they just outsource this to to an an NFT agency that's shopping themselves around to Fortune 500 companies to get projects off the ground and scalp major fees. Yep, and and has no connection to magic. They won't have even even if that company wanted to tie this into the game. I'm sure Hasbro won't let them. Right? They'd be like, no, just make the NFTs. You're not touching. Well, because they just they, they don't have game. that team put together. They don't have the department to handle that. Like yeah. at best, you're going to get like one or two junior designers from Magic. They're going to be assigned to the product development and will act as liaisons with that team. Tell us what the good cards are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that uh, in general, these are bad for any number of reasons. I would encourage you to avoid them. If you're trying to buy them because you think they're going to make you money, please just buy any of the other cards we talked about this week instead of those. Uh, here's here's another slick thing they could try. These booster packs could have tokens for real product. They could have arena codes in them. They could have vouchers to take to your LGS or to cash in on the secret layer website to get free product. They they, they, they could do this in a real in a way, as you said, lots of ways for this to work. I just I'm dubious that they're gonna find any of them. I, I didn't actually read the whole announcement. Are they are they selling this crap in actual packs? They, no, they haven't even they they, they don't even, they have no idea what they're doing. They're, okay, so they didn't actually write. Okay, he, so when you he say, was just trying to get if, like he was you, just trying to get the analysts stirred up with the with the catchphrase NFT. Okay, so when you said would I buy a pack, you, they did not actually say we're going to put packs out. I there just think that's NFTs. You're just, no, I just think that's inevitable. Okay, I mean, did, but Top Shots does it all through their website, right? Through their app, yeah, and website through their app. I mean, I, I, you know, if they're outsourcing this to an NFT clear, uh, you know, sort of clearinghouse, whatever. Uh, I mean, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't just do the the bog standard, like the stock offering that they're doing with all these people, like, which is essentially packs. In, well, in the sports in the sports world, it's packs. So that's is it? St- it's, st- it's still packs yeah. on the Top Shots. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if it was just like a marketplace where. No, that's that's the just... after. That's that's how you make money on the back end, right? You sell the packs, get people like FOMO'd because they have to get in line for them, and they often don't don't make it into the lineup. And then you take a, uh, a percentage of any transactions between the members on the platform. Mm, okay. So it's, as, it, it, so it's they... as though, you know, on Arena, you can't trade cards at all. And that's a major failing of that economy because Magic, like, Wizards misses the opportunity to get a cut. And on Magic Online, they let third parties take that all over and miss the opportunity to get a cut. This is, yeah. this is their third opportunity in digital to smarten up and get a cut. <laughs> So, given that the mo- that's the model that is being used in the sports world, I would imagine they will try that. Okay. Um, so it's like you unlock yes. the Black Lotus. You want to sell it to me. You got the pack for a hundred. I'll buy the Lotus for three thousand. Wizards will take four percent. Yeah, it's. Uh... That's what they're gonna do. It's just not gonna be interesting. But I'd... there's a. Uh... I, I I don't I don't want I don't want them to do NFTs, but there's so many ways that you could connect this product, like this concept, to magic. Like you could do all of this through the arena platform. Like right, you can't trade. Like you you buy your packs in you buy your 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 NFT packs in arena, and then you still can't buy and sell magic cards on arena. 
but you can buy and sell the NFTs. Well, you you and, could and you now, could do it so and you can get a custom animation for Valky that no one else has type of shit. You can have the I mean, with enough money, you can you can do a lot of things. You you could connect it to Arena because the app could be set up so that hey, we're launching Vintage and Arena. The only way you can get those cards is through these NFT packs. They could do that. There's a there's a lot of like put me in a room with some strong marketing brains and and product development types for six hours we're gonna come up with some real sexy ideas and then you're gonna have to budget them <laughs> and the, and the one with the lowest budget is the one hasbro will appear and that they think they can they, they still think they can squeeze money out of is going to be the one that gets approved well yeah i mean that's it, there's a zillion ways you could come up with something that's cool here and none of them will happen because it's hasbro. Oh, it's just it, it's going to be funny to watch this unfold yeah, I will remind our listeners that you can uh, you can still go buy Jace coins. Do you remember those? Yep. The I mean that's a whole another level. The 20, another level. Twenty fourteen New Zealand Mint Jace the Mind Sculptor Silver Coin. Yep. There's also a, like a whole new set of uh, jewelry that they've put out, like a Mana Vault and a bunch of other stuff that I've seen influencers pushing on Twitter. Oh really? Mm-hmm. I did not see that. All right. I'm glad I did not see that. Well, we can probably call that a night. Where can people find you online, Travis? Oh, I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. I just used that code uh, last week and spent several hundred dollars there. Yep. Um, which brings us to the end of episode 269. Uh, I think a, a valuable conversation yet again and uh, lined up for 270 next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Thank you.